Liz Danvers debates handing off the investigation to the Anchorage Police Department on account of their limited resources and training that her department has. She ultimately decides to keep her case, a decision that frustrates Anchorage Captain Connolly. Connolly decides to spend a few days in Ennis waiting for the bodies to thaw. Danvers and her department transfer to Corpsicles to a nearby hockey rink where they can be slowly thawed out. While the men are defrosting, the police interviewed the cleaning ladies and delivery driver for the Salal research station, learning that one of the men, Clark, was showing worrying signs of instability. Meanwhile, Officer Navarro begins poking around the edges of her Anna Kay case while she frets about her sister's own worrying signs of instability. She gets a tip that Clark bought a trailer off a local while Danvers gathers that Clark had a matching tattoo with the missing woman. They decide to join forces to locate Clark's trailer, a love shack that he has converted to an apparent shrine to Anna. Seeing as how their cases are linked, Navarro and Danvers decide to put aside their past differences to solve their mysteries and clear them so they can go back to never seeing each other again. From the dusty mesa, her looming shadow grows. So what do you think of this episode? Uh, as I said, an instant take, I thought it was great. I love the pacing. Um, I really like the performances. I've seen some mixed reviews on Jodie Foster, which blows my fucking mind. Yeah, like, there's nothing mixed here. I mean, is it like the best performance I've ever seen from anyone? No, but it's absolutely good. Solid. Well, yeah, you have to believe that this diminutive woman can square off against the likes of Officer Navarro and Captain uh, what's his name? Not Danvers, Captain Connolly and uh, Hank and you know like a ferocious mama bear just back him off and she does she really is like gets in people's faces shoves people's chest like she's fearless and I think that's pretty hard for someone who's got the frame of Jodie Foster to pull off like that is acting Mm -hmm. You know, that that's not like a laugh out loud moment. So I think she's doing great. Um, I think that um, uh, 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 Reese, mm-hmm. Kaylee Reese is doing a great job. Um, I was expecting big things from her playing like this tough, uh, very, very physically tough, mentally tough cop. And I'm getting all that. Um, I really liked all the interpersonal relationships and how, like, you know, Liz is kind of. Uh, uh, the thread that connects the town together apparently seems like you know um, uh, making yeah. a short list of the people she sleeps with versus the people she don't. Uh, yep, I think that's interesting, and I really like the mystery. I think they're really nailing yes. it. I think I saw some takes that people are perturbed about all the supernatural stuff in this season, but like. I don't know that there's more supernatural stuff this season than there was at this point of True Detective, the first go around. You know, that was a spooky ass show that turned out to be a Scooby Doo episode, Mm -hmm. we think. Mm -hmm. You know, where everything that was apparently spooky or supernatural was all in Cole's LSD addled brain. But when you think about the things he said about seeing his dead sister and his dead father in a coma, you know, there. I still think they had at least a toe, if not two feet, one foot in the supernatural. They they maintained a toehold. So, and I and I like it. I love a guy who seems like he's frozen stiff and he starts screaming and scares the shit out of me. I like the jump scares. I like to talk about the ghosts and the uh, and and the the world of the dead and how you got to keep it separate from the 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 world of mental illness. Um, I love the look and feel of this show. 
Like every once in a while, you'll see this stark, you know, like like the mountain, the mountains of Alaska at night, or the the mining operation of Ennis at night. Like I I think those are really cool, and they give this, you know, like 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 you just feel like you're unstuck with time watching this show. Like people are eating pancakes. Is it breakfast time? You know, uh, someone's going to sleep. Is it is it time to go to sleep or like, how do you even know without the natural rhythms of day night? Like, yeah, it's it's disorienting. It's really putting us in that mindset. What what did you Mm -hmm. think? Uh, Yeah. And it puts, you know, the people there in the mindset of believing in supernatural. You know, maybe they are seeing things. Maybe they are real. They could be in our heads. Um, And I think that lends itself pretty well to, you know, the stuff we've been poking around the edges of in this series uh yeah I, i'm a big fan i i liked episode two mostly i'm a big fan of this mystery that's unfolding mm-hmm. i really want to know the answers to this um i do want to know how it connects to season one because there are pretty some some pretty strong uh threads there that developed this episode i I don't think I like any of the actual characters in this show, but that's not a problem for me. It's like, I didn't like any of the characters in season one either. <laughs> like Russ Cole and Marty are not likable guys particularly, in any way. Yeah. Like uh, I like Russ because he is a weirdo and uh, he's a weirdo. He's very good cop, which I think, you know, very good cop transfers over here to Liz quite effectively. She's a very good very good investigator just like rust was uh so, so i i don't need to like them to enjoy the show uh i i want to see them succeed despite their own personal flaws that make me dislike them <laughs> you know right because right. there, there's a mystery to be solved here and that's the thing that's really keeping me engaged is that mystery so yeah. this episode like if you if you are in for the mystery stuff this just kind of blows it wide open right like all this connection oh, yeah. to season one, these shrines to dead people, this like we introduce a couple new characters who are almost certainly involved in something nefarious like Kate, uh, the mining executive or the, the owner of the mine. Uh, she's almost certainly up to no good somehow, right? Whether it's uh, she's overlooking or hiding the true nature of the pollution that's going on here or she's keeping children in an underground pedophile uh dungeon who knows right but we'll we'll see more as that goes on and yeah i'm excited to get some more details all right let's talk about the mystery next i think uh last last week we talked about it in terms of two mysteries the anna k disappearance which is a cold case and the current eight scientists disappearing I don't think there's any need to to do that anymore. I think these are officially merged by the end of the episode and we already see the connection. So I'm just going to deal, deal with just, just the facts of here. Um, You know, we got a lot of information from the opening scene where the, uh, the, the the police officers are kind of documenting the crime scene. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got men with frostbitten corneas, ruptured eardrums, uh, a man with a spiral inscribed on his forehead, a, a, a spiral symbol, a man who scratched his own eyes out. Um, and a later scene, we'll see that the men have self-inflicted bite wounds, it appears. Maybe they're yeah. biting each other, but it looks like, mm-hmm. I mean, one guy's got his hand, like, seems like he's crammed down his throat. Um, and there's the clothes neatly folded and laying in the snow. Yeah, Navarro does notice that. Did you? 
I, the thing that stuck out to me about that scene is those guys' men, those men's boots, shoes, look traditional. Like I would say, they look like, okay. um, you know, well insulated moccasins. They don't look like there was Gore-Tex or, you know, vulcanized yeah. rubber. Like these things look like they were made through traditional techniques. Now, maybe that's just the best thing to wear up there. I hear that, like, actually you know, in Inuit boots and Native American moccasins, they are like the shit if you're walking around whatever their intended environment is. So maybe just everybody wears that stuff up there. But it's possible. It's weird that the, the no one no one mentioned that, you know. That's why I thought it's like, well maybe that everyone just maybe everyone does, but you know, the cops are wearing traditional boots. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Uh these could just be frozen over uh I don't just stuff they got from Costco or whatever, but yeah, they could they could be some kind of native inspired footwear. I don't want to talk about the motivations of the decision because we're gonna leave that for talking about Liz later. But what do you think about the decision that Liz makes for keeping the investigation here? I don't want to talk about again the 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 morale or why she's doing it, but like, do you like think whether it's the right thing to do? She, yeah, do you think that she and her department have the stuff to do this large-scale investigation? Her department? No. They're a bunch of chuckle fucks. But her and Pete? Maybe. And now I mean, that Evangeline's the on, on the case with them? Yeah, maybe. The three of them. You just need so many special skills. Like, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, she's got to, re- I mean, anytime you got to tell the guy who's cutting the bodies out of the ice, like, hey, you should stay three feet away from the body so you don't destroy them. Mm-hmm. And you got to keep your guys from taking like Abu Ghraib style, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, 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 the pictures, trophy pictures with the victims and uh, posting on social media. And you're fighting, I, I guess Hank is her lieutenant. You're fighting your 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 lieutenant uh, over discipline, and I just I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess if all the other cops just fuck off and do DOIs and scraping caribou off the road and leave the big three here of Peter, Liz, and and Evangeline to do their work, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, if you're asking me, do I think by the end of this season they're going to solve the case? As in, like, this is the right move for her to keep it. I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think there will be a resolution to this case. So, you know, in the terms of fiction, yeah, I think this is the right move for her. They're not going to have this just dead end somewhere. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. I love how she's screaming, stop fucking around. Uh-huh. The, the fuck's sake. Fuck's <laughs> sake. Jackasses. In, the, in what has to be the most horrific crime scene they've ever seen, right? I mean, yeah. aside from maybe the Annie, Annie K stuff. It happened six years ago, and probably none of these guys were on the force six years ago. Some of them look like they're new. Uh, Pete certainly is, but he's not fucking around. Yeah, just I wouldn't be fucking around in that situation, but I don't know. Maybe they see this kind of stuff every other day. Corpses just half eaten and mangled (laughs) by polar bears and seals and shit. I don't know. You know what you don't see? You don't usually see a man whose arm is frozen solid and snaps off and then he starts screaming. You don't um, usually see that. <laughs> I will say to the people who might die, I didn't get a lot of people being like, no fucking way. As soon as I saw that, I'm out, which I think is a testament to how awesome the scene was that you're kind of like, mm-hmm. shit. 
but we did get uh, several several people sending us in uh, something to feedback um, uh, a real life story from a few years back in Minnesota about a woman who was frozen solid and then revived um, hmm. yeah to the extent that like they were trying to administer an IV and the needle snapped like she was Superman or something that's how wow. frozen solid her extremities were I know they're trying so it with uh, dogs and stuff as well and yeah. that's like half working yeah. they can keep them alive for a few minutes but I, it, here's my question on that and this is a freak thing like just because this one i mean this this i'm not trying to say this is like oh yeah it's uh but like i do think it's in the realm of believability if we're talking about the what and not the why or the how yet do you think this guy is going to wake up and will ever get an actual explanation of what caused this because he is a so, first-hand account of it there will be not no only that what happened did you pick up that he is, I think this guy's Lund. I think he's the guy who he's the 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 guy who runs. He's the director of the research facility. So not only sure. is he got firsthand account, but he's also the boss. He's the guy. Uh, isn't he the guy who was in like the? Uh, he was writing on the blackboard or the whiteboard, I guess. When we, I'm not sure. I didn't. Him. I didn't because I'm bad with faces and names. I just saw it was asserted that the guy who survived is the is the director of this facility. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where like, yes, but he might be so fucked up that it's going to be very much later in the season. We only have a six That's episode season think. and I could see him like waking up like late episode four, middle episode five and yep. kind of like confirming things. Maybe things that the, that those cops had ruled as is like unlikely or impossible, but his testimony. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very much a last act kind of thing. Because his also, testimony if, needs to be. If he just wakes be, up fully cogent, it seems like the investigation is going to be over. Right. He just tells them what happens, and they go yeah. search for the the culprit. You know. Um, no, it seems to me like what needs to happen here is he needs to recontextualize things for them in a yeah. way that makes things extra fucked up. Right. Because this is true detective. It needs to be like, oh no, this person we thought was completely innocent is actually connected to something horrific or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of lively debate and instant talk about people saying that like, oh, you know, corpses can, you know, because of the air in their lungs and you start moving around, that's a pneumatic force that can make them say, you know, like make make groan sounds and you can get them like, you know, I've heard of corpses sitting up and like shifting position because of gases moving through. Uh, that's clearly not what's happening here because no. I don't think any amount of gas can make a person's like head shake side to side as eyes move around his tongue flap. And crucially, <laughs> we have a nurse saying the man's yes. still alive and he's in a so, medically induced coma. You don't put yeah, dead like, people into medically induced comas. <laughs> yeah. On the second watch, I'm like, why do we debate this? Like, this no. dude's alive, you know, like, yeah, dead bodies can do a lot of things, but you know, alive bodies can do even more. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, we find out he's gonna he's in bad shape. He's gonna need his leg amputated. He's in a medically induced coma, which is why we don't hear from him about the rest. It's gonna be at least a day. I think we're about through a day at the end of this episode, although it's really fucking hard to tell as we talked about. Yep. Um so next she goes to the high school and talks to the geology teacher, uh, another of Liz's former and maybe future lovers. Bryce. He's got a lot of opinions about the, this research station. He thinks they're madmen and that, you know, unlike most isolated research stations, they never rotate their staff. This has been these dudes for years. Uh, he says decades. Like, I, 
look, man, uh, this sandwich guy is not decades old. He might be decades old, but just yes. he's like 30 at the oldest. Um, he's Doogie Howser. He, he go, got his degree at 12 and now he's there's 32. Gotta be, there, there's got to be some new blood that joined, I imagine. But they're saying like, unlike like the different Arctic research stations where you might rotate out every six months, three months, mm-hmm. certainly year. That's just not happening. So they're weird. Um, also, uh, they're that they're trying to find and study a microorganism that they think is going to unlock the ability to halt cellular degeneration. If you do that, it feels like you would unlock the secrets of almost immortality, you know? Yeah. To, to, to a lesser degree, you know? I'm sure you can still yeah. be shot and killed or stabbed with. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be frozen to death, but like you got like vampire you immortality. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't. You wouldn't age. It'd probably be a revolutionary cure for cancers and other forms of mu- cellular degeneration mutations. Now, what about um, this? Your body would still do some of its natural processes, right? And some of that is like buildup of toxins in your system so you your cells might not degenerate but would there still be buildup of toxins that would maybe drive someone crazy over a certain amount of time Ooh. or you know there, there are a lot of processes that go on other than degradation of cells in the body yeah um but he also had an interesting opinion about the impossibility of their task that and this guy of course he's just you know no no shade to the high school geology teachers mm-hmm but also high school geology teachers opinion on this biological problem that you can't drill for these ice cores. The drilling of the ice cores destroys the microorganisms and to where it's like, he made it seem like it's a, it's a, they're tilting at windmills. Like this is impossible to achieve thing. And that's the thing. It's like, they might be telling a story of them going for a panacea, and unlocking Pandora's box. Like, yeah, the thing that they're doing is impossible, but they can uh, expose a novel pathogen or toxin to an environment. You know, it's kind of like what um, Dr. Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, you know, like you've got, you know, the, 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 you got organisms and things that had their time. You're bringing them back. You have no idea how they're going to interact in a modern environment. You're talking about that except for disease and bacteria and viruses. So... I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and I was looking at this scene. There's a lot of um, allusions to the the drilling process that would have to happen here. Um, he's discussing this with his students. The lesson plan for the day is about the structure of Earth, and he's got some stuff written on the board here that's about like it's it's inner core, it's outer core, it's mantle. Um, they don't talk about the crust specifically, but it's interesting to me that we we as a species don't actually know for certain what is inside of the earth. You know, it could be Godzilla and King Kong. We don't know. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of deductions we've made. documentary that, that had a strong case that that's exactly what you'd find. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but there's uh, deductions we've made based on uh, seismic patterns that happen uh, when, when earthquakes hit and the shifting of the inside of the earth. Um, we do have actual samples of the mantle of the earth. We've we've drilled down far enough to actually get that, but we don't know what's for sure what's beyond that. It's it's a a lot of smart people deducing things based on science, and so we have a Mm -hmm. 
probably decent understanding, but I think that plays into this idea of, you know, these scientists drilling down, what are they going to hit? Yeah. Almost like, uh, you know, journey to the center of the earth. Like what, what kind of uh, crazy shit are you going to unlock? There's all, it's, have you seen any of the, cause like, I guess the deepest hole that's ever been bored was like in Russia during the Soviet union. And there's still like legends about the fact that they had to stop because it got too hot and you heard the screaming and it's like, you know, <laughs> implying that they hit hell and shit like that. But like, uh-huh. you know, there, there's always like this kind of like, um, this goes back to like Jules Verne, you know, the idea that there is hidden things, animals, life forms, civilizations. Yeah. And the, the core. Dark, I mean, my God, look what they find. Lord of the Rings. You're going to find, you're going to delve too dark and you're yeah. deep and, and greedily and you're going to unlock a Balrog. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. They also mentioned like robotics and whatnot. And I, I wonder like mm-hmm. to what extent this high tech is going to come up later. But uh Yeah. Um, so in talks with Rose, Navarro discovers that there's a spiral in one of the scientists' heads, and Rose is familiar with this symbol. She doesn't really talk much about it, except for she says it's old. It's older than Ennis. Older than the ice, probably. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's been pointed out that something to be older than the ice would be something that's frozen in it. So yes. like, a, you know, these pathogens or whatever we're talking about. Um. Also, yeah, like, what do you make of the connection to the Carcosa stuff? Because I remember when we covered season one, it turns out that most of those spirals were the result of a set decorator that just took pictures that his kids drew and pasted up on the walls. And yeah, yeah, this is the thing that kills me about some of the nitpicking that I see uh, happening is like season one wasn't fucking airtight either. Don't don't get it twisted, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, the connections are explicit here. And to me, it's all pointing toward the people involved in this Arctic research station are also involved in the Carcosa stuff. I mean, it's the same family, right? This Tuttle United, uh, that's a direct connection. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? The fact that we've got, um, you know, we find out that uh, this uh, that the Ru- this is actually Russ Cole's dad that's appearing Travis, yeah. to Travis. That's appearing to Rose, um, and yeah, the fact that we've got a Tuttle organization backing the research station. Let Let me say we don't actually know a hundred percent that that is Russ Cole's dad, but he has the name Travis Cole. There could I mean, be two Travis Coles up there, but and he died of bone uh-huh. cancer, just like Rust said he did in season one. So it's like they got a lot of. Honestly, if it's not Russ Cole's dad, I'm gonna be pissed. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I just wanted yeah. to point that out. Like you know, that is a deduction we're making, but it's a very good one. It's pretty reasonable. It's like what's at the center of the earth, yeah. you know? It's it's not just the name, it's the fact that he died of cancer. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um I don't know that it's going to come up in any other point in the outline, but there's two people that they mentioned died of leukemia. And I yeah. think they're making a pretty clear connection between the contamination of the environment and the mines and this thing. So it's like yeah, there's an acute breaking of out of weirdness, but there has also been like a sickness to the land mm-hmm. for some time now. It's this is not anything that's like recent. Absolutely. Um, I thought it was really funny the sight of them hauling the corpsicle through town. 
Me too. Um, with all these kids like, staring. Yeah, I kept on thinking because even with it covered in tarps, if you knew the context, you'd be like, oh, that's fucked. But like when you actually see the whole assemblage, it's so David Cronenberg. It's so the thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and these yeah, these corpses look great too. Like I know they're not really dead bodies, but they look so much like realistic dead bodies. They did a great, the art department did a great job of uh, making this whole corpsicle thing. Yeah. I did wonder about that. Like what, what are your thoughts when you get tasked with make us a giant mound of frozen flesh? Yeah. And we're going to de-thaw it. So make sure we mold their balls and the cocks, their (laughs) ass clefts. We want all the detail. Get in there with that airbrush and really go to town. (laughs) I want texture, damn it. Uh I want texture. I'm thinking of the guys, you know how like they, because I guess they actually, when you have like hair on a human body, uh, like a latex thing, they actually use needles to like inject them. Oh yeah, like, yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, just like you're doing a doll's head. I'm like, imagine being the guy that's like uh, doing the the body hair. Yeah, you know, just just stapling stuff on a scrotum. Just up close and personal with that all day for weeks. It's in this dude. That's your job. That's your job. You're the scrot guy. You're just gonna go around and murking these guys. Um. So they, they get him on the ice and we find out that there's some teeth marks from apparent self-inflicted bites. Um, uh, they found everybody accounted for except for Clark, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy, because they, they're counting heads and stuff and all that. And then they, there must be another one buried. Um, they, you know, it's like these guys look like something was chasing. They're dying of, you know, fear. Uh, they got their hands raised, defenses, postures, but we also know that freezing can cause delirium and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was interesting Liz ordering a search of the autopsy for similar afflictions. Do you think it's a throwaway line or do you think that's actually going to hit pay dirt come next episode? I didn't make much of it, so I don't really know. It would be interesting if this stuff had, had happened before. You know, mm-hmm. I could see it happening, like, especially if you go back like a century ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, Peter gets a big brain blast that we have all these gentlemen's phones that are very biometrically locked, but at least one guy's got his face unlocked and he uses the corpsicle to unlock it. Um, we, we see Peter watching the uh, Salal guys doing this karaoke to Barry White. Mm hmm. It was the point of that just showing that like all the men were, you know, like like this happy go lucky group. Like this is a pretty recent thing. Um did, did, so. did they show Clark singing? Was he part of the I group? Didn't I didn't see him. I didn't either. Which we know from the testimony that we're going to get to the, the cleaning lady and delivery guy that they had kind of started isolating him. Mm-hmm. Uh but here's the big jaw drop that I did not catch on the instant take. Uh, they're talking about they're waiting from DNA from the clothes, but they've got the fingerprints and the handprints back. And he shows one print on the shows that hadn't come up with any matches. Mm-hmm. It's missing on its right hand, its ring and pinky finger, just like the redhead that got her face punched in last episode. Yeah. Now, and, and I... conspicuously, I think there are two big lies in this episode. One is when Chuck says he doesn't know the guy in the picture. And I think the other one is when Claire says she doesn't know has to be deliberate that they set those pair of people because they also she yeah. they also f- keep her face in focus as she walks away uh-huh and that's not the face of a woman that didn't have a flash of recognition on that face i agree 
So is she the murderer or the killer, as as, as Danvers kind of points out, or is this a or is she a victim? Uh, I, I've got I've got some speculation. I've got mm. some crazy psychosphere type stuff that I've been thinking about over you the course of the last couple or? of days. Uh, I want to get into it when we get into the why of the mystery, the why and how and stuff. I, okay. I feel like we're still in the what. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, just we're just considering all the facts. Yeah. Um. There's a scene where Danvers and Pete kind of like rap about how they, you know, they're trying to answer the the right questions, right? And they're talking about, you know, you can have a sudden drop atmospheric pressure, maybe ruptures or eardrums, can damage tissue. We know the hypothermia can cause delirium. But like it's one of those things that's like if something all of a sudden happens, some scientific event that would cause them all to go crazy. Why the neatly folded clothes? Mm-hmm. If the neatly folded clothes, why all the crazy pandemonium with eardrops? It's like, it's like, it seems like it's weird. It's like the side of a bomb blast and everyone's taken off their f- clothes and hung them neatly on hooks before they died. It's like, there's, there's both of those ends don't meet up. Yeah. Um, and you know, the big question is, you know, how scared do you have to be to run out on the ice with no shoes on? Sure. Um, that's a big question. And also, um, does the fact that the spiral is on one of these scientists head that, um, does that imply that there was someone there, the folded clothes, does that imply the presence of someone that they should still be looking for? Mm-hmm. They're and assuming finally, that I thought, they're assuming that the guy drew it on his own forehead. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. No, I, yeah. Um, don't know why you would assume that. Maybe they don't assume that after all I, the stuff they learned this episode. But. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they assumed it. Is this like something they were talking about? Like it could be a taunt or it could be a joke or a practical, you know, or um, I also thought it was interesting that um, they find a video. I thought it was really funny how the sandwich guy, when he does ta-da, it almost like perfectly frames up Clark. Like the reveal is supposed to be Clark at all the, the, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, we see Clark, you know, we now know that Liz is going to know that Clark kind of had this seizure, lost his mind, said she's awake, and then all hell breaks loose. You, you mentioned that it was like a distortion, like an EMP field. I thought it looked like one of the lights exploded into like a starburst, and then all the lights went out. Could be. Did you have any, like, I could see it being like, well, maybe that's just the sensor getting overwhelmed, and then it's just going to die. But like, I don't yeah. know. Um, I mean, they could be similar causes, right? You get some crazy EM blast and like the lights might go out, but your phone might also go out. Uh, so yeah, don't know. Um, I thought it was, there's, so there's another, this is something the internet picked up, but when they start the interview with the cleaning lady, one of these cleaning ladies also works at the blue crab, the blue, the blue King crab facility. And, um, there they ask her if she's seen the spiral and she says no and then she's like hey blair she goes it looks like witchcraft and she goes blair do you does this mean anything to you did you make the connection to blair witch (laughs) i didn't but that's good it's got it's probably deliberate like she's making all these other pretty on the nose references to the thing and whatnot i I thought it's another it's i thought it's pretty funny anyway Mm mm-hmm 
Um, so we find out from these interviews, the delivery guy and the cleaning guys, that uh, universally these people are thought to be weirdos and kind of quiet, keep to themselves guys. But among the weirdos that are quiet and keep to themselves, one stands head and shoulders naked above the rest, <laughs> and that's Clark. Um, yeah, he's, he's always weird. Go ahead. He, he's been shut up in his own uh, quarters. He's the only one to have individual quarters in this entire facility he's been shut up in there uh he won't come out when he does occasionally he comes out naked and talking to himself we see his journals later which are just filled with the scrawlings of a madman talking about her her eyes her fingers cold dark uh, i hear her i feel her she's coming all this stuff so yeah he is clearly disturbed I thought it was interesting that the delivery guy admits that he thought he saw someone at the station that night, but then when Pete tries to probe him, he's like, it's in us, man. We, you know yeah. this. Like, this is, I imagine, yeah, the long nights uh, with the adjusting, uh, the, the attendant, like, um, monkey wrench that's thrown into your schedule, your circadian rhythms that, you know, it might get weird. Um, I think it's, uh, he says, it's a long fucking night. Even the dead get bored. I thought that was a great quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know he saw someone at the station because we saw someone at the station and we do not think we're crazy so yeah absolutely uh, the show showed us the person at the station running through and it almost certainly is Clark himself I think so too I think so too because um, that's another thing like people the other well, I saw some people commenting on whether it's plausible these guys one of these guys could survive um, we don't know that they were out there for 48 hours we know that the this thing happened you know that the sun went down approximately 48 hours ago there was a disturbance at the facility but we don't know that the guys like just just fled the compound from that moment we're out there for 48 hours it could be that they're only out there for a few hours we just don't know Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the other thing because like i don't believe a guy could spend 48 hours in sub-zero temperatures and not i yeah i think you're fucking dead i think you're fucking dead but Probably. there's wiggle room. If it's six hours, ten <laughs> hours, eh, maybe, maybe. Um, so there's a scene where Pete catches Danvers up on the investigation. Um, and uh, he mentions that the other guys, questions why the other guys are putting up with Clark's bullshit. He mentions that he hasn't seen his mom for ten years. Um, that uh, they're estranged. She's he's dead to her. Um, didn't even react when he was, she was told her son is dead. And in searching the money, we found that uh, it's, it's, it all belongs to Tuttle United, um, which has their hand like this. Like, do you? I, I'm 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 questioning whether you're supposed to 100% understand that the Tuttles are connected to the Louisiana Tuttles because the Louisiana Tuttles, I don't know, own a global mm-hmm. globe spanning corporation that has their hands in everything from tech to video games, the palm oil cruise lines, you name it. That seems like Nestle style. Sure. Uh, uh, ownership of something. I'm with you. It didn't feel that big in season one. It felt regional at best, not global. Yeah. But this is an expansion of that, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There was an interesting theory I saw online that they talk about, and we'll talk more about this in Navarro's storyline, but this lighthouse that's not a hospital, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a community center, 
and we know the Tuttles are involved in this area. Um, they mentioned, I, I think, I think that their school for children that they ran that was kind of the front for their trafficking was like the Children of Light. And now okay. we got a facility called the Lighthouse. Do you think that yeah. this is a way for them to get at-risk people, um, especially Native people, uh, and uh, disappear them for their own purposes? Because you know people go crazy and they wander out into the mm-hmm. ice and. It's what it feels like. Uh, this is yeah. feeding into my psychosphere sniffing as well. Yeah. So uh, Navarro decides to investigate Ryan or ask Ryan again. You know, go back to uh, Anna's brother and see if he recognizes Clark. He doesn't, but she sees a flash of recognition on one of his friends. She tracks him down at his mining dorm and uh, essentially legally compels him to tell her, her everything he knows. And he says that Clark bought this RV from him uh, a few years back. And well, from uh, his cousin reason, who's dead now from his cousin. You're right. You're right. From his cousin. And uh, he doesn't know much about that. Um, and it's kind of a, a temporary dead end. But he also mentions that he doesn't like Navarro and Navarro surmises that he also was OK with what happened to Anna Kay. And ends the questioning there. I, that might be a premature end to this line of questioning why didn't why are you okay with it she thinks it's because yeah he he just didn't like annie i i don't know about that he's a mind worker but yeah you're right she's probably maybe there's another reason other than her being an activist opposed to his employment you're you're, you're suggesting mm-hmm mm-hmm so uh, Danvers is investigating Clark and because she finds the finances and his journals and she finds uh, throughout his some of his research material that he has started sketching things mm-hmm. that look like eyes with concentric rings around them. Um, there's a lot of stuff that he scribbled on here among them is, oh, God, never say her name. I can feel her fingers. I can hear and feel her fingers, um, her cold, dark eyes i can hear her calling her eyes her face oh and God, it just turns into sleep. like yeah it kind of turns into like ray finkelstein stein's notebook from ace ventura where it's like it just gets crazier and crazier and denser and denser yeah um it's jack torrance some, from the shining right it's it's a it's it's shorthand for this person went mad yeah 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 um some people opine that the the eye sketches that he was doing look like an elevation map of like two like twin peaks essentially okay um i guess like i don't like literally that's not literally how you do any kind of like elevation lines they wouldn't overlap and because like that um so like i don't know i'm Mm -hmm. thinking that's that that feels like a reach to me yeah i i feel you there um but maybe the, the thing I can't shake is we're supposed to directly associate this with like the spiritual side of the Inuit culture and the Sedna figure or some kind of horror that has awoken here. To me, this feels more like a man haunted by the death of Annie. This feels like a man who is experiencing visions of her, right? Like, like all the other people in Ennis, they're seeing the dead. They're seeing Travis. He's seeing Annie and it's haunting him and he can't shake that. 
Why wouldn't it be connected though? Because like obviously she has a connection to this symbol. She tattooed it on her shoulder. She's a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, an activist, kind of a medicine woman. Um, it would make sense for um, maybe that grief to be filtered through some of her tribal customs and practices because I'm sure she shared that with him. Yeah, he could, totally. But it could yeah. also just be a man haunted by the death of True. someone important to him. Do you, and maybe you think, Annie is uh, trying to take him, right? Like I think of what uh, Rose says about the reasons that yeah. you see dead people. You, wh- what does she say? You see them because they miss you. You see them because they need to tell you something that you need to hear, or because they want to take you with them. Yeah. I wonder this if this could bad. be. They need to tell you something you need to hear. I wonder if part he's trying, like Annie is trying to communicate some clue to him mm-hmm. about her own death yeah i mean i'm the, the team skeptic in me has to point out that we're assuming that everything that rose said is is accurate you know and it's not just uh you know her oh the skeptic in me her. says he's just a yeah, lunatic bullshit. yeah he's driven mad by yeah. the grief uh but you know if i want to go down that road and follow the show um with some of its weirder occurrences yeah i, I think it's possible so then there's a couple of uh, uh, um, connections that the Navarro and Danvers both make simultaneously um, that we'll talk about in their respective storylines. But the both women end up outside this. Uh, they, they find his love shack and they go inside it. And this thing has been done up. There's bones from animals such as seal and caribou. There's hanging dolls that have been woven together. There's crocheted spirals and crosses everything the cabinetry of this rv has been carved and patterns and faces with words um there's dolls and flowers Uh, they find anna's broken cell phone which is something that they never recovered from her body back in the day uh there's a truly massive spiral in the bedroom that's over this effigy this doll that uh it looks like it's supposed to be anna anna um and I, I noticed that the, the, this particular spiral looks nakedly menacing. It's got like black thorny edges and it's very sharp mm-hmm. and angular and it's got this kind of pulsing. Not, it's not literally pulsing, but this mm-hmm. kind of roiling red interior. It's the other spirals are kind of like, oh, okay, that's a spiral. This spiral looks like it's up to no good. <laughs> yeah. It's a bad spiral. Um, hmm. the one thing about you saying that he's just a dude that's like he's just a scientist dude that's like mourning his girlfriend do you think that he did this stuff post-mortem or do you think someone else could have done it because if, if you think he did this post-mortem I don't think you can also hold the opinion that he's just some dude grieving this is like I mean this shit. stuff yeah you know, not just Carcosha shit but it's also bound up with their native practices and it's like I you know this feels it ain't it ain't Christian. I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think a guy from that. Ireland. I don't think this came from a dude from Ireland's subconscious. You know. Yeah. That's interesting. Um. I mean, we know that Clark had the RV in his possession at some point. Mm-hmm. Do we think it was always in his possession, or is this something where he was he was also a middleman? I, what do you mean by that? 
I mean, does he pass it on to somebody who is more connected to these traditions, right? Like a Tuttle or somebody like that who is actually doing these spirals. It's possible, and... but without evidence suggesting that, yeah. it seems like I, you know, uh, it seems like you've got the means. He's he's owned this thing. You got the motive. He's sad about his girlfriend dying, and he's kind of slowly losing his mind about it. And yeah. Um, if the guys are like, if he's bumming the guys out with all of his crazy shit, having a place he can go to do his crazy shit isolated, it's weird that no one would know that, that like he just sometimes goes for like days on, of course, I, I guess I'm making some assumptions. Maybe well, he and if he shut up on in his room all the time, people, like sneak out his window, <laughs> people might be accustomed to just not seeing him for long stretches. Ah, right. 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 And right, so right, if he goes yeah. out the back door. Especially yeah. if they're kind of like taking a stand against him. Like he's weird. Let's freeze him out. They're not going to be like, mm-hmm. hey, buddy, how you doing? So he could just. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're so, saying. Yeah. I, I do think this is Clark. and I do think it's postmortem. Um, yeah. That's that's where my head's at right now. What did you think about the eerie screaming, yelling sound that was made when we cut from? Was yeah. that just uh, the soundtrack Atmosphere. fucking with us? I, yes. It kind of has to be. I don't know where else. Well, okay, so it doesn't have to be because there have been other instances of this sort of out of out of the narrative kind of stuff happening, right? Like the she's awake happens at times when people aren't saying she's awake. It's just kind of happening in the soundtrack. It's true. This felt like that. People are reacting to it. Like this has seemed like it's just like a transition sound, you know? Right, right. Like the like a Star Wars scene wipe. This is the audio version of that's a true detective uh, scene. Screen screen what scream wipe scream wipe. Nice. Uh, yeah, to me it felt like it was atmospheric, not uh-huh. inside of the scene. But uh, so yeah, Liz gets called back that there's a problem at the old corpsicle rink, and it turns out uh, there's only six of them. Uh, they realize that mm-hmm. Clark's missing. And uh, uh, Navarro's convinced that he's alive and out there. And then I also thought it was interesting yeah. the song choice. They dropped uh, Seven Devils by Florence and the Machine. Love Florence. Yeah, one of the most haunting voices uh, ever, maybe. And then you got eight scientists minus one, Clark. There's seven people. Mm-hmm. Are they devils? Could be. I mean, if they're digging shit up and causing a, you know, the the... Pandora's box to be opened. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that it was interesting to me the, the juxtaposition here of of Liz and Navarro throughout this season so far, where mm. one is very much a logic first investigator, the other is very intuitive. I mean, Navarro here just states he's alive, he's out there. I can feel it. I know it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's going to be like the fundamental difference. I was listening to the official podcast and it seems like they're, yeah, that's kind of where their head's at with the the storytelling for these characters. They got a lock versus what's his face on Lock Lock and Jack. Yeah. Lock and Jack, man of science, man Man of of faith. Mm -hmm. Faith. I mean, it's a great dynamic, you know, anytime you've got like that kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like that's Mulder and Scully, right? Totally. That's, that's a that's a great way to do this kind of like supernatural cop thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is these are the facts of the case. This has been a long segment. Um, this is this is the the what, the who, the where. 
we're still short on the how and the why. You said you wanted to talk about some of the whys. Ooh, All right, hit me. I've got some crazy ideas about what's going on here, man. Uh, sniffing, sniffing a psycho's fear, are you? Yeah, let's see if I can build a foundation for it here on the fly. Um, season one, there's a lot of connections to season one in this episode. The tuttles, the, the spirals, the crazy doll-like structures that are made. Um, season one turned out to be a pedophile ring that was keeping you know children in underground dungeons for their own horrible sexual purposes. Uh, I found it interesting that they are really going hard on the environmental stuff here. And I wonder if that isn't a red herring in the death of Annie Kay. If, because the other thing that strikes me about Annie Kay is they bring up the fact that she's a midwife. Why is that important? Who, who gives a shit, uh, about that activity? If the problem here is the environment and that's why she was killed. I almost wonder if there's some there's some connection to a birth that happened that shouldn't have happened. And Annie Kay got knowledge of that birth and had to be killed for that reason. When you say it happened, it shouldn't happen. What are you talking like, about? Like there was an underage child. And especially when you look at like Leah and her uh, girlfriend being like this oh. underage sexual relationship where it's getting out sort of into the public. I, gotcha. I wonder if they, I'm not... I wonder if I'm not crazy for connecting those things, saying there is a theme developing, right? Um, a couple of themes. And to mention that she's a midwife, that she would have a hand in the birth of children up here, makes me suspect that she knows she knew too much and had to be killed for it. Yeah, I wonder if she'd like, or the other way you could say is like she maybe saw some birth defects or they lost some children they shouldn't have because of the pollution and she had that evidence. Yeah, and, which might lean back into the environment how do you, stuff. But to connect like it to the Tuttles, that, I mean, that, like knowing yeah. that the Tuttles are involved up here and this lighthouse facility that's like taking in, pe you know, people who yeah, it's, need it's not help. A hospital. Not a hospital. No doctors, no doctors involved here. It's, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I do wonder I, I do wonder what her actual reason for being killed was. Uh, and then yeah. I look at stuff like th there was this big stink made about these posters that are in Chuck's quarters at the mining dorm. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I don't care necessarily to talk about the AI of it all, but the, the one of the posters behind him is a K-pop band poster. Yeah. What does a man in his late 40s, is my guess for Chuck, at a fucking mining facility in the middle of Alaska give a shit about a K-pop band? That's well, not the meta. type. I've got some meta behind this. Okay. Apparently, I... those were actual posters of real bands that they were unable to clear before the episode aired, so they hastily replaced them with AI-generated posters. Well, that's an act. Uh, that's an actual band. This I've I've is it? group is an actual real K-pop oh, band. Yeah, you can go so look them up. That, that's a real they, ass poster. But Kiss Kiss said, "Go fuck yourself." Okay, I'm, I'm sure. Said no, and that one that one I think is AI. Is has been out on the the okay okay Twitter because I, I saw that one. I thought both it. of them were, but you're saying one of them is a real band. Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah, this I've band. I mean, I, I looked know. them you're up. Saying they're, he can't be people. into K-pop. I'm saying he's not likely to be into K-pop. He's yeah. it's a weird thematic like young women sort of thing that's going on in this season. Right. I mean, just like season one. 
it's tying it back in that way too and to me that's that's getting more into the sexual nature the the deviant sexual nature of what's going on here and i think i think annie k got caught up in that k-pop stands deviant sexual freaks according to jim jones <laughs> yeah. and, if you're a 45 year old minor living in alaska <laughs> don't put the k-pop posters up you know gotcha gotcha um all right, you got any other any other whys? No, that's, I mean that's my big theory right now. Um, I'm cur- I'm curious as to how much Rose knows because she's talking about this case to Evangeline, and she says you should let this one go. And I don't know if that's because she just has a bad omen because this stuff you know could potentially be older than the ice, or if she knows something that says you don't want to dig on this. Mm. I mean, I, that's the thing. It's like it's wild that we're not. And when I say we, I mean the community, because I've you know I've spent a lot of time on our Discord, spent a lot of time on our on the, on the subreddit, um, and no one's actually suspecting Rose, even though in a real investigation she would be maximally suspect the person to like you know discovered the whole situation, put it right out. Yeah. Um, and in I such a remote a, location, it's not like she yeah. came home and there was a dead body in her house, right? Or I did get the idea that that's about a half mile from her house, though, right? Because I don't, don't okay. Navarro and her look over to the mountains and you can see the excavation. It's like from it's like in sight. It's far away, but it's in sight of her house. Sure. Still, I have a lot of follow up yeah. questions. What are you doing out here? Uh, oh, yeah. Middle, yeah. Like if you, if you say like, oh, if, if you take out the Kevin how the fuck would she know? And she knows and like is not also surprised. There's a complete lack of like surprise or shock or like, oh my God, I found all these corpses out here. Like her deal, her comfort with death is interesting. I think it is. I think she's a, she's still a suspect in my mind for sure. Uh, One other thing I wanted to bring up is the idea that this is Annie's tongue at the Salal Research Station. We are six years after her death. Presumably, Clark had it. Why? And that's the other thing. we When we're talking about the what is like, uh, there's an offhand comment that it has cellular damage or some kind of degradation. or Possibly some kind of from freezing. Yeah. Possibly from freezing. Um, I doubt it. How did he get this? Um, that, that's my, my biggest question. How, unless he was there when she died and had some hand in it. Or he finds her dead her and tongue? then cuts out her tongue and uh, takes her cell phone. Because that's the other thing. Takes her jacket because that was also like implied that he took a couple weird guilds some some things from her um or he found that he they you know they cut off her tongue and like staged it on her body you know like did and he grabbed that because he couldn't grab her bot i don't know man um like one of the crazy theories one of the psychosphere type of theories is that he was using this tongue to try to study on how he could bring her back like hellraiser style like the mummy style (laughs) i i mean first of all like you gotta like uh, when I say this, I'm like it's not suggesting that he was like mad scientisting him. It just but he's a broken crazy person. Yeah, yeah. But so he would have to be a broken crazy person the day she it. died, right? To unless this tongue was taken by someone else and frozen, and he got it later. 
I could see him it would coming just be upon immediate. the corpse of his lover as something that just sends you into a mental break that you don't recover from. Um, but like, I yeah, how would he yeah. find that out? Like, how would he know that she's in? Because the because the other I, I've avoided your other direct question, which is, is was he, he involved? involved in the murder? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Like, if he if he's fucking this gal and seems like he had feelings for her to the extent that he'd get like a weepy tattoo, like I. Why would he do that and not say anything to the authorities? Unless he is a... Because he's at the connection to Tuttle. He's a member Tuttle. of the Tuttles. Right. He's the connection to Tuttle. He... But he's Irish. ...found out that... <laughs> sure. Well, I'm yeah. not saying, like, yeah. Irish or... You can't be pedophiles. I'm just saying, no, no, like, no. why would a guy from Ireland who came yeah. over here to do research get embroiled with this sex southern sex cult from, like, the 70s? Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's a it's an odd happenstance, but all of it's odd, right? The tongue is odd. What what? Oh yeah. How would he have the tongue? It's the only idea I can come up with is yeah, he was involved in the murders somehow in in the murder of Annie Kay. Could be. And that's the thing that's distraught, right? Like she wants to take him with him. You know that the three things that the dead could want. Yeah. You're listening to the world we deserve. We'll be right back. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. back with more of the world we deserve let's talk about liz danvers uh we've we've gone through investigation let's just talk about the stuff we glean from her uh she is a person who owns the space that she is occupying 
Uh, she goes in your classroom. She's going to tell the kids, fuck off. It's Christmas. Go home. Uh, she comes into your house where she's just waylaid your husband for the night. She's going to take a whip off her boots, start playing with your kid. Uh, go to your kitchen table, slap a grandma. Well, not physically. <laughs> uh, she's going to she's going to break into your house or I guess it's not breaking in if it's unlocked, but she's going to start unpacking your grocery. She is a person that owns her space, who fills up the space that she's occupying. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting thing about her. She's very presumptive, I would say. Yeah. Um, and the nature of Liz seems to have changed drastically over the years. I mean, we get a small flashback, a couple of small flashbacks of her this episode. One, dancing with Jake. Uh, to laying on the floor of her son's bedroom with him. And both of those, she seems very happy. She seems very caring for her loved ones, very into the idea of family. And now she's very much against it. And I think it's pretty obvious why that might be. There's a tragedy there, but they're showing us the difference, stark difference. Yeah, if you listen to our instant take you will definitely come away with the idea that I, I had this like um, like this this island of stability in Liz's life where she was with this uh, um, I forget the guy's name was it Pete no Pete Pete is the the, the son of Hank that she, her her Jake? protege Jake mm-hmm. yes she's with Jake and and everything came together because like we know 19 years ago she's cheating on some dude that was married um and we know that she's done a lot of that she's done a lot of home wrecking there's implications that she might have split up the marriage of the mind the person owns the mine mm-hmm. um and i i thought it's like okay so she's so so 19 years ago she's kind of like doing this destructive behavior because again I, I don't care if someone's sleeping around being a slut but like yeah breaking up families and and cheating that's that's not necessarily good person behavior we're all we're all human we can make mistakes but i'm not going to hold that up as like that's virtuous that's that's good behavior right um and then i was like oh when she's with jake you know she had this like she she found contentment and she lost it but when i was watching this in subsequent times i kept on coming across that liz herself says that her and jake were also up and down in and out Mm -hmm. and she wasn't necessarily cheating on him with connelly but they were in a break they and, but, and he was the chill person. So, like, I guess if I'm going to say the person was causing drama was probably her. So, like, I can't think I, I, I see no evidence that she ever had a truly peaceful time in her life or the peace that she experienced was more about the child than it was about Jake and the dancing and all that stuff. What? Because because like I said, I had a strong opinion that, yeah. that, that but like I can't square that with her and Jake having repeated problems over even their relationship on again off again yeah you're right i guess the difference here is she never has those moments even mm-hmm. now right like i never see a Doesn't moment where like she it. is anything i would call happy uh so yeah I, i'm with you there's turmoil in her life constantly for at least the last 19 years yeah um, and it's turmoil involving, you know, the children are caught up in that too, because, you know, we're, we're finding the story about her and Jake from Leah. She's telling Pete about like, yeah, she used to be this, she used to be that. Um, it's interesting that like, she kind of tells, uh, her and Pete both tell the story of like their parents at times where they still hadn't given up their dreams, you know, like it turns out Hank was a, 
a wannabe rock star. And by the time Pete was born, he's not even playing an instrument at this point, Mm -hmm. you know? Like that's how, and and like the hint that um, his mom thought that Pete was, or Hank was a loser. Um, Hank says something to, cause I want to get that there. I have a whole thing about Hank and Pete, but like Hank has got problems with Pete's mom. You know, it yeah. sounds like, I thought maybe she was dead, but it sounds like she just ran off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, Some of the other, stuff with Liz in that flashback. Um, not the one where she's dancing with Jake, but the one where she's with her son on the bedroom son, floor. Yeah. It's a stereo in the background playing the twist and shout song from Ferris Bueller. Um, that. Yeah. So, so it's definitely going to be a trigger for her. I'm curious if that's just like their song, right? Like uh, Evangeline and her sister have a song. It's Spice Girls. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seem to have had perhaps a song, Twist and Jout. It's hard for me to figure out why it's a bad trigger, though, because like if it's something her and her son like to listen to, I don't know, I could see that. And yeah, then, it just brings up like, memories, wholesome memories, ex- which she doesn't like feeling because it's gone. Yeah, because I was my expectation was like, oh, that was a song on the radio when the drunk driver hit them or something. Still could like, be. It, Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those triggering these happy memories could be painful now that they're gone. Yeah. Um, I couldn't help but notice the one-eyed imagery. You yep. know, the fact that the boy covers one of his... It's the wrong eye. It's the opposite eye from the polar bear and all that. But, but he actually says, look at me, I'm the one-eyed man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cut right from her pulling that one-eyed polar bear out of the, the yep. memory box, essentially, to that. So they're making it. And I wonder if that is some kind of mythological figure, this one art. Because like, I, I couldn't help but think uh, of Darwin and him drawing the scary lady with the bleeding fingers that's mm. from the mythic native lore. These little boys are exp- exposed to this grandma and, you know, these grandmother figures that like give them the. So it's like, I wonder if the one eyed man is going to be a figure that uh, has a tie just like we've mm-hmm. got to tie the lady missing her fingers and stuff like, is there, is, we got this uh, polar bear. Like, is that going to tie into some kind of legend? I'm keeping my eye out for one eyed persons in this show to see if any ever show up. Cause there'd probably be a tie back to that, but yeah, maybe in, yeah. in mythology, there's something there. I haven't seen it yet, but it could be. The other thing we know about, um, Liz is like kind of everyone in the community hates her and has reason to. She's broken up a lot of families. Apparently she slept with the woman who owns the mine. Is her name Katie? Kate. It might be Katie, but it, I, I wrote it down as Kate. It's, it's the one at the, the one that loves her town that uh, thinks that she's a fucking bitch. That might um, be hook, trying to hook up with Hank. I I don't know. Why? There's some, some kind of flirt. Like, oh, you're kids should get on with my kid right so that we could maybe spend some time together i don't know there's something there uh, she's i think she's flirting why would you why would you angle for hank though especially if, <laughs> Dude, if you know I he's got know. the the russian hookup yeah huh i don't know yeah but but, they, but but navarro says that that's like you know no one can stand you but peter Pryor. that's the only one everybody else hates you Mm-hmm. And you'll probably be breaking his heart real soon. Um, and that's where she gets told to fuck off, which I thought was pretty brave to do to Navarro because Navarro could split her in half. Even her um, adopted daughter hates her. And I know this was like 
kind of a theme in episode one, but I feel like it's brought into focus here. This whole Christmas thing, like why, A, why do Christmas if you hate it so much? You know, help me put up this stupid fucking tree or whatever she says. Uh, and the way she is so dismissive of Leah in this episode. It's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, like did you come? He, th- there's this heartbreaking scene where her daughter just gets off the ice and is sees that Liz is here and says, did you see my performance? She says, no. Did you see the manager? I need to talk to him. Right. Just so dismissive, dismissive of this like hopeful mm-hmm. the sentence that was just said before. It's heart. It's crushing. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Yeah, it's funny because it looks like that's a hockey rink, but also there's Olympic skating hopefuls. I noticed that like Leah's uh-huh. there's there's a woman taking coming off the ice. And I, I thought that was interesting that you've got like this very different dual purpose ice rink. Um, yeah. And yeah, her her girlfriend is a skater. I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, like I, everyone was talking about Hank and him punching or backhanding his son. But like, honestly, what Liz does here in the kitchen where she finds Leah, you know, as this uh, one of his uh, grandmas has magic markered her her um, or done a temporary tattoo of these 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 uh, these lines. Mm-hmm. Um, she just loses her shit. Like I guess if I was a child, I'd rather my my mother father backhand me than to like shit on my culture and religion. And That's look just at like how she reacts here versus how she reacted when she found out that her daughter made a sex tape. With, with an underage uh, girl, right? Yeah. Like, th- it's so muted in that scene in the first episode, comparatively. Yeah. Like, here she has a visceral reaction to this. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, making a sex tape is like, you know, not a... And, I, and I, again, like, I... I, Just to be clear, like, I think Leah's a minor, too. Like, she is. I think she's 17, Leah might yeah. be, She's 17, and this woman... So, but, like, I know... And, and if you're um, from a different country, you might not know this, but, like, the age of consent... And almost every state in the country is 16. So it's kind of a big like deal a sliding for like a 17. Scale too, right? There's... Well, some states have like Romeo and Juliet laws yeah, yeah. where it's like, yeah, it's like that's it's kind of cool. But like there's still like I think a, like an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old taking pictures of 15-year-old reads a hell of a lot different than like 17, 15, 17. Or in this 17, case, it's like 17, 16. 16. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with the age difference here. It's just no. the danger of doing the thing that they were doing, which is recording themselves. Uh, yeah, when and, I, and that getting out, like, yeah, uh, that's yeah. I just uh, two years ago, I got I had a custody battle with an ex, and uh, I was talking to my lawyer, and he mentioned that he had just come from a case where, yeah, a seventeen-year-old kid dating a sixteen-year-old daughter. They had you know exchanged pictures and stuff, and you know her father was making a federal case, and this guy kid was like, you know, looking at child pornography charges. All the people involved are right. children, but they were manufacturing what is unmistakably child pornography. Um, it's yeah, like I I talk to my son all the time, like fucking don't do that. Like, it wait seems until like you're both consenting nudes, adults at the very least. But yeah, <laughs> if you're not until you're 18, man, it's yeah. it's it's bad. And like, you also don't want to have that floating. Like, say you got this stuff when you're 15, 16, and you don't delete it, and now you're 21. Yep, that shit. Yeah, so like, god damn, I hope I, I hope all the kids out there are smart about their <laughs> digital footprint and all that stuff, but. Regardless, and and this is why I'm saying look at the difference in the reaction because there's nothing offensive to me about these tattoos. The the nothing yes. scary about these tattoos. The scary thing is the thing that she reacts the least to. So and something I, I tried to grope for this her. on the instant talk. Yeah. Like it's got to be something like 
like one of these uh, laundromat grandmas, which I don't know what the hell that means, but like <laughs> it's did, a funny did, insult. So yeah, I don't know. Either. Did like her boyfriend Jake have key, like leukemia, and instead of going to a doctor, he tried to heal it with tribal medicine or something, and. Okay. I could see I could see being like, you know, I'm pretty tolerant of people's cultures and whatnot, but like if I had a loved one that chose traditional tribal medicine over oncology, that would be hard for me mm-hmm. to get past. They're free to do it, sure. It's a free country, but that would really be difficult for me to deal with. Yeah. And I could I could almost see like if it's something like that. But it's gotta be some because like I don't know. But that wouldn't have also taken Because otherwise Liz is just kind of, she's just racist. You know? Oh, yeah. She's just like, fuck you putting your your cultural heritage on my daughter, who is a member of your tribe and culture. Like, that's just wild behavior. I, I agree. I'm not ruling that out, though. Because, like I said, I don't think any of these people are necessarily great people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, that's the thing. It's like she could like because it wasn't Mar- like I'm pretty sure Marty might have said the N word in season like, yeah, Marty yeah. was not not racist. <laughs> yeah, Marty is the one I, of the two detectives. I did not I did not think he's true of a detective. Um, mm. He did have that one sick connection he made late in the season. But yeah, he's mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't think he was a very morally up- upstanding character. So, yeah, she could just be racist. Yeah, she totally could be, be tough to be this the this the, the the chief of a small town that has a lot of natives and villages and stuff to be 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 rough for the community. But yeah, and they're it's, absolutely it's not... bringing that up. I mean, they're bringing that up directly in relation to Liz, right? Later, when Evangeline says, "Oh, you want me on the team now that it's eight white men who got killed?" Mm. Didn't matter when well, it was Annie K, right? The native. Yeah, and like Liz busts Navarro's balls very much along the try, like, oh, your spirit animal told you this, and like she's uh-huh, saying a bunch uh-huh. of stuff. It's like kind of Hank and Gomi and Breaking Bad, where it could just might be, be cool if it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, and he gives shit to Hank for being a white Polak or whatever. Like it's it's fine, but like there's not that esprit de corps between these two women. No, so it just anymore, feels like she's existed. being racist. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And she knows it. It's not like, oh, it's a one-sided falling out. They kind of, they both have beef that goes back a few years, it seems like. Yeah, maybe something to do with this Wheeler thing that they keep mentioning. Yeah, that's the, because like I, I saw, I think it might come up in feedback that someone's like, well, maybe this Wheeler was some kind of thing that the Nate, but like, yeah, I, I don't know how a police case could end up with like animosity towards natives, but who knows? Yeah. Um, so here's another thing. Why does Liz take this shit bowl case? Um, mm. from Peter opines that he doesn't understand it. Clearly, Doctor Who, uh, Connolly doesn't understand it and thinks that Liz is going to fuck it up with her lack of resources or maybe her personal demons or whatnot. Why does she take it? Is it feels like maybe she is sticking it to Connolly. Or she could maybe be. she thirsts to do real police work, and this might be her only opportunity to do it. Maybe. I'm sure this is a crazier case than usually goes on up there. Um, but I think her going right to that binder that's chapter and verse of the laws of forensics, and you see that it's mm-hmm. been post-noted, and like I, seems like she does sweat the police work. So I, 
one of the things that the official podcast and, and the official material from HBO has been bringing up is that, yes, these women hate each other, but they also really want to work together. And I they're both denying it. In, they're in both denying episode, it vehemently. But, but yeah, but they keep saying in the meta materials here, they actually do really like each other and want to work together, even though they hate each other. So I wonder if this is not penance. I, I wonder if this is not Liz taking some responsibility and saying, yes, when I came up here, this was the end of the Annie K case. There was evidently more information out there to be found we didn't find it at that time i feel some kind of responsibility either either in a policewoman sort of way um where i just i have a responsibility to the case and the public and the victims and all that to get to the bottom of this or responsibility maybe directly to evangeline um Mm. feeling like yes we did there was more out there to be found that we prematurely closed this thing that's what it feels like to me. She would never admit that. And every time it's brought up, she shuts it down immediately and just like, yeah, I'm going to stick it to you or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think this is a sense of guilt or, or responsibility, right? Not Maybe not necessarily guilt so much, but responsibility to get to the bottom of this for the victims. Yeah, and the, there are also other conscious connections the show makes. Like, I can't help but see the, you know, sexual, the aggressive sexuality of Liz, where, you know, uh, uh, Captain Connolly is, is, is going to finish up, and Liz is like, absolutely not until I get off, too. And, and it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely um, kind of showing how these women, even though they're very different in terms of their backgrounds and, physicality and all that stuff also have a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, looking for love and maybe all the wrong places. Um, or maybe not looking for love. Maybe yeah. Just trying to set, like, but, or but not admitting they're, they're, that they're looking for love. If you believe Kavik. Yeah. 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 But that might just be bullshit. That might be sure. him wanting, wanting a relationship. that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was signs that like at one point, Liz maybe was searching for that domestic tranquility. Cause we see her yeah. with the boy. Yeah. That, that's a woman who looked happy when she's laying on the floor playing with that little boy and dancing with Jake. And yeah, dancing she with Jake, seemed yep. genuinely happy there or just high, just high out of her mind. <laughs> you know? That, that, that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. Taking some medicine. Here's the next segment. We're talking about Navarro. Um, hmm. I thought it was interesting the scene with her and Kavik where she's almost intimidated to be working with Liz again. Like, do I have the right stuff? Like, yeah. she really respects, like, she even says, like, well, if Liz is here, she'd say, what or what? I'm asking the wrong questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. she hears, like, Liz's voice in the back of her mind, like she's her mentor. I thought it was interesting that, like, Peter even recognizes that, like, I'm in Navarro's old seat. Like, I'm your new mentor. He doesn't understand something. Like, if, if it was some legendary fuck up that Navarro did in a case, I feel like she would know. So there's got to be something as Wheeler business that's not like bad police work or because like, yeah, why wouldn't Hank just say, oh, yeah, Navarro shit to bed and it pissed off Liz and like like Hank would gleefully tell her about all that, you know, like, oh, don't get involved because of the second you fuck up. But she lets him believe that it's like, well, she fucked up and the, the way to stay my good grace is to not be a fuck up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, that's there, there's a scene in the trailer that keeps running through my head that we haven't seen yet. Um, I I don't know. I it's it's not a spoiler because I don't have context for it. But like, so you and Pete Pepper is the trailer patrol here. I just <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a man sitting in a room, kind of back to the camera, uh, and he's sitting in front of a dead woman on the floor. And I think this is the Wheeler thing. I th- This is my guess right now, is that this is the Wheeler thing, and they both have sort of misgivings about how it was handled, or at least Evangeline definitely does. And Liz is trying to say, no, we couldn't have done anything differently. Don't You can't blame yourself, that kind of thing. I, I wonder if oh, that's see, I kind of a Liz, I thought Navarro was the one trying to say, we worked that the way it had to be worked. And, oh, was it? And Liz was kind of like, nah, I don't want to, like... I don't want to bring that Denying back up. Denying it by saying, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to get back into this fucking fight again. But, but, but that it, feels it like the thing, right? To me. Yeah. Like the big I wonder out. if it's something like Marty and uh, uh, Russ both, like, you know, how they agreed on that fiction about how the shootout went uh, yes. when they found the girl. Like, I wonder if it's something at the scene, at a crime scene, they both decided to do that, yeah. like, didn't sit right with Liz. Because, like, if it's a simple matter of a police work error, or they I decided to go in in it. that situation and they got the they person killed, yeah. yeah, or they feel like they got the person killed, yeah, yeah, something around that case, yeah. or is a bad shoot that. I, yeah, I don't know, but it, it feels like that, like like something that Russ and Marty had concocted mm-hmm. and they kept secret this whole time. Because otherwise, why wouldn't they know like why the fallout happened? Because if it's yeah. something like, oh, it's a drunk driver that hit Jake and and Navarro fucked up the police work and he got like that, well, everyone would know that. You would think so, yeah. Yeah. So it's got to be. I, I think you. I think you're onto something there. Hmm. Yeah. Whenever we find out about Wheeler, I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to be seeing. Uh, I did wonder why Rose wanted Navarro to stay away from the case even before she knew it was connected to Annie. Yeah, that's the thing. Is she experiencing, is she hearing things from Travis that say, hey, stay away from this? Did he do another dance and she interpreted apparently, it as, don't, don't go near this case? <laughs> apparently Travis shows up. It's not just Travis that shows up, that like Travis is the thing that unlocked her sixth sense. Uh, so to speak, but she doesn't deny that she sees more dead people than just him. It's just like, I just started when he, he was my first, but I got the, got the clear implication that she sees others because otherwise why And like, not only that, but she's seen all three types of ghosts, the ones that just want to visit the ones that need you to hear something and the ones that want to take you with them. Presumably. Yeah. Which I don't think she means like the way Travis showed up. I think she means like, want to kill you yeah i think so want, too. want you to join them in death yep and i think that's the type like, that uh clark might have been seeing yeah and you got to tell which from which but like i often wondered like okay so like let's say you've 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 come around the third ghost you just pretend you don't see him is that the one you're just like yes yeah, yeah maybe or like because yeah how do you avoid a ghost killing you i wouldn't even begin to know that Maybe you don't listen to them. Maybe you don't follow them because, you know, I don't know. I don't know what a ghost can actually do to kill you other than uh, uh, drive you crazy. Sure. Uh, I, I have to say that I really got a kick out of seeing Harry Potter's aunt roll the fattest joint <laughs> and light that up. That was like really, uh-huh. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah. 
Um, and the fact that like Travis Cole was the connection that brought Navarro, but presumably Navarro in her capacity of a police officer found him. Yeah. And then knew of her relationship with Rose. So kind of like told her as kind of a, kind of a next of kin. It seems like it. And her, I liked her opinion of Ennis being the world's getting old and Ennis is where the fabric of reality is, is coming apart at the seams. Yeah. A literal axis Mundi. Monday. That's how I feel about I say our hometown of Mooresville. <laughs> okay. Every time I go visit, I'm like, oh, this is yeah, the psychosphere is coming unraveled right here, right wow. at the water tower, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So obviously, the, a lot of the conversation you see how does Rose is also her talking about her sister because she thinks her sister has got the same curse slash blessing that she's seeing dead people, right? Does, uh, or is she worried about herself? too she might be worried about herself yeah uh because she picks up that necklace in the car after she hits the ice lump and instantly free associates to her mom pointing at nothing and screaming while she's holding on this necklace did you make uh, by the way did you make anything of that the ice lump it's just an ice lump I went back you and freeze so? framed I think it's just an ice lump there's a weird like yeah. black spot but the blood I thought I saw was I think Shadows. just discoloration from the headlights and uh, reflections. So and, yeah. Cause it does look like a pool of blood, but the more I looked at it, the more it looked like it's just the extreme contrast between yep. the white ice and the, 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 you know, the extreme dark and all that. It's just, it just casts mm -hmm. a really incredibly harsh shadow. Um, so yeah, I think so too. It just, it is suspiciously person shaped. <laughs> I suppose it looks exactly like what a person who had frozen to death on a road and just stopped, stopped there kind of looks and got covered in snow. But yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think it is. Um, Can I go back real quick to the sister stuff and the visions? Yeah, we haven't closed that out. There's been a lot of allusions to various influences, right? I mean, obviously, season one, big influence, but the shining. Um, we've talked about several others. The Lighthouse. Mm. The Lighthouse. Robert Eggers, the film The Lighthouse, has some interesting connections to this. Sort of a, an, a, really? like an alternate reality that people are seeing, right? The, the people mm. going crazy sitting out here at this lighthouse. In isolation, sure. In, yeah, in extreme isolation. Uh, a murder that happens um, because of it. I, I think there might be some allusions to that. It's it's one of the best horror movies that's come out in the last five years. So is it five? <laughs> it might be longer than that at this point, but it's been a minute. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, I could see that being an influence on this season as well. Yeah, I could totally. I mean, if we see a hand carved mermaid show up, watch out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but also the, the, her sister, um, I thought it's interesting that lines like don't confuse the spirit world with mental health issues, because honestly, if I talked to Rose, I wouldn't say this to her face, but I'd be thinking the whole time, you're crazy. You got, sure. you got some brain got chemistry some thing that's not, that's, that's causing you to see things because obviously ghosts aren't real. Um, but the, the, the also is like that her sister's not resistant for treatment for no reason. She got put in some place in Nevada that pumped her full of drugs and she didn't like the experience. And now she's like violently against any of this stuff happening to her. Yeah. It's also weird if, if the lighthouse is a Tuttle ring. Um, 
even though I, 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 I'm, I, I feel like the show has conditioned me to think that Rose is a wise, benevolent person, a spiritually aware person. I have a hard because like Rose kind of like pushes her like, oh, yeah, lighthouse. you should try the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. If the lighthouse was like some kind of weird thing where native women and native girls were disappearing, you, I don't think Rose would say that about it. So it's like, I, I, think I, right. I don't yeah. want to believe it's evil if Rose is pushing it, but maybe Rose is evil. It's possible. I One thing that struck me is when she draws this symbol in the snow, right? The spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're talking about it and she's like, oh, I've seen that thing. And she draws in the snow just as quickly as she draws it. She wipes it out. I thought that was interesting, too. Like she's afraid to have it on yes. her property. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, so it's not just that it's old. It also terrifies her. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can draw unwanted attention. Okay. Is it, can, is it an eye of sorts? Hmm. Ooh. Like I it's can't, can't help but notice yeah. that it, I go back to the just offhand observation I made in the last episode that those symbols are all over Kavik sheets. Like that particular right. symbol is like bordering his pillows and it's like a, a repeating motif. So like, but with the eyes, that's thing, a bad, you know, the that's drawings a bad from Clark, I'm like, mm. is it, is it something where it can gaze at you if you, if it's near you? I, oh, this is crazy supernatural shit, right? No, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, you know, it doesn't need to be real for people to believe in it and make it real. That's yeah, the absolutely. Other thing. Yeah. It's like it doesn't have to be an evil force. It can just be, you know, uh, superstitions have the ability to influence real people's in, uh, actions. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting. So, like, let, let's run with this idea that like bad things happen if you have this symbol. Um, Kavik's dogs are acting unusually aggressive. He jokes about uh, Navarro jokes about one eating him. Uh, as soon as she did that, the hair kind of stood up on the back of my neck because I'm like, oh, my God, I kind of like Kavik. I don't want him to get eaten. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got these evil symbols in his quarters. The dogs are acting strange. Do you think do you think he's going to get eaten by dogs this season? Is that foreshadowing? Um, I saw some speculation and it might be crazy that that might all be hinting at his involvement in the science science scientist murders um that maybe the thing that these scientists are so afraid of is like him with his pack of dogs i i think that's that seems ridiculous i i think that's ridiculous <laughs> but i'm not ruling it out yet i'm i'm open to the possibility yeah. but yeah i mean you don't put so, so i mean ostensibly the point of this scene is to establish the nature of the relationship between him and Evangeline, that he wants something. He's trying to thaw out this very cold woman uh, and, and and get her to love him as much as he loves her. And that's kind of all the scene is doing on the face of it, but behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, it could be foreshadowing for him and the grisly death at the hands of his dogs it could be foreshadowing for some for for his nature not being as kind and uh, mild mannered as it seems currently. Mm. Maybe he is it actually is. that character, but in reverse, you know. There's, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, and I also like I keep coming back to last episode when he's like, "If you call, I'm not going to answer next time." With him being like, it seems like there's hot and cold things on both of their sides. 
Because mm-hmm. now, like, he's the one asking, hey, are you coming by tonight? Uh, disappointed when she's not going to. Um, yeah, I thought uh, I, I thought there would be a lot more, like, eye-rolling, oh, Jesus, Navarro, when she came into his bar. But it's, like, almost like... I mean, I don't know. He was still annoyed that he stole her toothbrush, but... Uh, it's hard yeah. to get a SpongeBob toothbrush. But there's like there's also there's there's another thing that ties her and Liz together because what is the thing that her and Doctor Who say every single time (laughs) they're never going to do this again they recognize that this is not good behavior it's bad for them both Um, but they're 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 stuck here I don't know it's interesting the parallels there yes you're listening to the world we deserve we'll be right back. We're back with more of the world we deserve. All right, let's move on to the last but not least segment, Hank and Pete. Um, we talked about this in the instant take. Uh, Hank is just a prof- profoundly pathetic character. Yeah. Uh, he is playing second fiddle to Liz. He loathes her. Um, she undermines her at every opportunity he can get. Meanwhile, his romance is getting a mail order Russian bride who's clearly scamming him like this. And then he's scamming her, too. Like, that's the the other thing is like, you know, I guess this is why these people do with a clean conscience, because, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're ordering a mail order bride from a disadvantaged uh, Asian or Eastern European country, that's. That's already something that probably should give you pause. But she's asking, oh, send me another picture. I want to see how handsome you are. And you're going around and taking pictures from when Pete was like seven years old. Ten years, at least 10, maybe 20 you're years ago. You're taking a picture of a picture? That's the like first I said, thing I noticed. Uh, it's hilariously pathetic. Like every time when I when I was watching him text, I'm like, I feel like on the other side of this phone or this text conversation is Vigo Mortensen from Eastern fucking promises. And like after he has he gets these pictures of this old dude from like 17 uh-huh. years ago, he's just rolling his eyes and being like, Jesus, send me your bank account details, fucker. It's but, hilarious because this is maybe the one scenario where that would work. Right. Because like if you if you do this on your dating profile on Tinder or whatever, as soon as a person shows up to the coffee shop or the bar or wherever, and they yeah. see your gray ass hair and your wrinkled ass yeah. skin, they're going to know you're not 35, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if they get to America, if they've taken planes and trips and they don't have citizenship, they don't have a way to really escape your clutches. This might it's actually pretty- work. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The scam kind of can like if it's yeah. if she's legit, he's scamming her. Yes, I, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's horrible uh, both ways. But the other thing is like it's also a plausible vector for him to do dirty cop shit if he's desperate for money because his voracious Russian doll has a bunch of money troubles, and you know it seems like he's like I got a little bit like there's an implication that she's kind of slowly drained his account with a mm-hmm. bunch of probably visa scams and I need money to live and oh my mom's sick and I can't leave her here if she's going to be sick and I wonder if like he's done some dirty shit to but because I also can't understand why he's got all these police records that is are off limits from for 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 Liz why he won't let them go I understand why he has them the flood he took them Put, stored them I in his house, but why, why won't, he won't he let, let him go? go he's, so easily. he's fucking with Liz. I don't understand why this this uh, this situation is allowed to stay 
mm-hmm. like this? Like, why hasn't this been decidedly, why hasn't this been decisively ended one way or another? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of other things about Hank that are pointing to him being a really nasty person. I mean, the coming up and slapping Peter this episode and his, you know, claim about blood is blood and you don't owe her anything. She doesn't own you. Um, this yeah. is all Distinct, like making a big distinction between found family and family family. You know, you have a family, blood which maybe blood. I have a personal stake in saying this, but that's bullshit. That's entirely bullshit. Is blood so is bullshit. earned. Blood is fucking yeah. earned. You don't you don't all, get that by birthright. All you people have warm family experiences where you unironically believe that blood is thicker than water. I, God bless you. Mm. I, I, I envy. I envy you. But some of us have real shitbag family members. <laughs> that that we haven't had that that experience so like yeah it's it's when it's true it's probably really amazing sure um, i like my family going forward to feel that way about each other but it certainly hasn't been my experience and yeah and if my family is somehow out there listening to this i don't think they're shitbags but uh there there's i don't think that relationship is unseverable i don't think that relationship yeah. should be taken for granted um you know it goes Things kind of both ways way but but yeah, you have to be a decent human being if you want to claim that you're yeah. my family. Sorry. Yeah. It's uh, so one of those things where it's like, like uh, what um, uh, Ty, Ty, Tywin Lannister said about being, you know, if you have to call yourself king, you're no true king. Yeah. If you have to invoke family to get someone to do something, like whether you're an employer saying, ha ha, we're just like family, which means you have to work. <laughs> blood sweat and tears for us or if your family's like this is a family like, they're almost always trying to fuck you over or manipulate yeah. you to do something you probably shouldn't so like yeah family's there and you're there and it's just understood mm-hmm. that's one thing they but won't someone's even ever say, you, ask yeah you gotta help me bury this body because we're family no fuck out of here you gotta <laughs> loan me ten thousand dollars because we're here like nah yeah nah. Anyway. I'm with you. so um, all that is to say and, hank is a huge piece of shit but he used to be he used to be a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Although I don't know, after this season of Fargo, where we saw that, you know, when I hear about Hank's rock career, I think of Lars, you know, uh, Indira's husband okay. with the the yeah. drum set and the golf career. It's like, was he just like this kind of loser, and he just fell into law enforcement because it's the thing to do up here? It's it's got it's got good benefits, like sure. Navarro said. You know, it's it's steady work. Could be. I don't think. I, look, there are a lot of shitty people who play guitar. <laughs> you think every rock band True. has just a saint for a guitarist? No, 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 no. So yeah. that doesn't do anything for me. Like, show me show me how he dealt with people. Show me how he treated yeah. others. Then I can say whether he's a good or bad person. It also kind of, and maybe not, because I'm sure a, a perfectly good cop can have a perfectly good night job as a band and playing in a band. But it it does, in this context of these shows, kind of tells me that this isn't something he was called to. And and also just his work ethic and the yeah. way he approaches police work says this is something that was like my fallback plan. Makes um, sense. And my heart's yeah. not kind of in it. So that's like again that that might not be 100% legit, but it's just what I think the show's telling me. I feel you. Um, but How about yeah. that conversation? Up- speaking of Hank being a bad person and bad father, uh, that conversation that Peter has with Leah in this episode, uh, the conversation kind of ends with Pete and her kind of 
commiserating over never feeling good enough. Mm. And and I guess I I guess I understand that through what we've seen. Like Leah clearly knows that Liz doesn't want to be her mom. But I don't feel like she's internalized that in a way that like Pete has maybe. Like Leah views mm-hmm. this woman as like she wants nothing to do with me. Why is she doing this stuff? I don't think she hates Liz. I think Liz hates her. I think Liz just doesn't. I think they've gotten to a situation where Liz doesn't know how to parent her. Sure. I, I agree with that. But I do feel like, and I don't think Peter likes his dad. I don't know. I mean, the way he talks about him, it's almost like there is a, the, he wishes he were another guy and he knows that he mm. could be that guy, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Cause you're right. I don't think he hates his dad. Although it's tough uh, it seemed like he was to. shocked that he hit him too like that seemed like that's not yeah. something that happens all the time that seemed like it was a shocking thing to him and again we're reading interactions just snapshots out of whole lives but but it also doesn't seem like he thought it was completely out of the realm of possibility either right like he's yeah. not shocked when it happens he just kind of picks up his hurt. phone and turns around and like yeah 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 but the way they both are smiling when they're talking about their parents younger, it makes me feel like there is mm-hmm. some affection, you know, that like, yeah, uh, Leah wants Liz to be proud of her and approve of her decisions. And Pete probably wants his dad. Well, I, mean, I think they both want Liz's approval, but probably, yeah, he wishes his dad was happy, you know, must be hard. Yeah, I suppose so. And the sound of the dude's joints crunching as they're defrosting. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's so gross. <laughs> well, it's uh, feedback time. And I have I have uh, bifurcated the feedback into two segments. One is feedback, and then other is smelling the psychosphere. Uh, if you'd like to send us feedback, uh, truedetectiveofbaldmove.com is the way to do it. And if you also want to know what else we're up to, a uh, great way to find out is follow us on social media at Bald Move everywhere except for TikTok. We're at Baldest Move. And also, why I've, I've got your attention, uh, we are just a week or so away from our Groundhog Day marathon. Each year, Jim and I spend 24 hours watching a thing, raising money for the Cure Owls Fund, Cure Alzheimer's Fund. And this year we're watching almost all of the Spider-Man films. There's a few 1970s oh, yeah. Spider-Man films. We're not going to make it uh, so some live action, like a electric company stuff. But but the ones, the big ones, the Hollands, the the uh, the Garfields, uh, the the Maguires, uh, the the Spider Verses. We're going to hit all those 24 hours, starting on Groundhog Day, February 2nd at noon, going to that Saturday. The following Saturday at noon, 24 hours, going to raise as much money for the Cure Alzheimer's Fund as possible. We would love for you to join us. If you want to know more about that, how you can watch us, uh, you can watch us watch these movies live for 24 hours. Uh, You can donate to that cause. It's very worthy. Uh, Check out uh, all the information. See what what time we're watching what movie. Check that out at groundhog.baldmove.com. All right. True Detective at baldmove.com is how you get a hold of us. First up, is Shane. Shane says, I know both of you touched on the possibility of a pathogen being the cause for the strange happenings at Slaw. I feel based on the evidence we've seen so far, this almost certainly is the direction the show will go. A mine being the only source of income for a desperate and dying town, a research station digging to the ice, all signs point to there. I'm writing this because it's an extremely common theme in Nordic noir mystery shows. 
and a fantastic Amazon series Fortitude with Stanley Tukey, Tucci and Dennis Quad. Wade. <laughs> uh, the cause of the strange behavior of the Arctic townspeople ends up being caused by a pathogen unearthed in the ice. In the weirdly hmm. hilarious sci-fi show Helix, Arctic researchers are seized and killed by a deadly pathogen. In the Finnish show Arctic Circle, the mystery surrounds a dead prostitute found in the Arctic. It turns out she died via, you guess it, a deadly Arctic pathogen. How about the terror? There's several other examples as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lead poisoning. Uh, would, would you be disappointed if this was yet another deadly pathogen unearthed in the ice story, which has been done to death? I suppose the devil's in the details and the process of how they get here, but for me, I'm completely expecting this to be the ultimate answer. I'm not sure this would be very satisfying, even if it does have the true detective name. Well, I don't know what you have to say about this, Jim, but I'm not familiar with any of these materials. So, like, yeah. I'm not burnt out on the old digging up something in the Arctic trope, and it turns out it's bad. So Yeah, I guess I'm with you. Uh, I haven't seen any of the shows you mentioned. So, yeah, I could go down that road. I'll follow. I think about in terms of zombies, like how zombies had like a, a cultural stranglehold on us for damn near 20 years. I think about like the comic book pop culture vice script that we may be coming out of after 15 straight years. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I, three examples in the last five years. I don't know if that is a trend that you could say that has played out. I'd be surprised. I think you're right, at least from my perspective. Yeah. All right, uh, next up, Michael K says, Hey, guys, I always saw Fiona Shaw as Aunt Petunia, but Andor changed that for me. She will be Andor's mom going forward. Oh, yeah, that's right. She does play Andor's mom. She does play Andor's mom. Um, I got to say that like, I, don't, I think Andor is criminally underrated. I think not enough people have seen Andor, whereas hundreds of millions of people have seen Harry Potter. So like, I need to get, I need Andor to pump those numbers up. I need more people to watch Andor. If you, by the way, if you gave up on Star Wars, mm -hmm. I entirely understand why. Yep. Almost was there myself. I had to be bullied mm -hmm. into watching Andor. Andor's pretty fucking good. Andor is the adult Star Wars show that Jim and I have been wanting to see for 10 fucking years now. Yeah. Um, Wholeheartedly I recommend it. I don't recommend much in the way of Star Wars because a lot of it is Saturday morning bullshit and it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it on a prestige show like this. Andor, I think, holds up to scrutiny. If you at all care about Star Wars and you haven't seen it already, I'd check it out. Kyle says, any thoughts on the Ann K murder weapon being a tool from the crab factory? Just a thought. I was listening to podcasts and Jim brought up the factory. It sparked my thoughts of that scene. Mm, what do you use for processing crabs other than mashers a, and a star punch? You just star punch them. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe, oh, maybe that's like the blue king symbol is a star. Did we? And well, so they do a have lot of like people star pointed punches. out that you've got stars on the Alaska state flag. So I always think that's classy to fly your state flag. Okay. Just, just so yeah, like, you know, it's really cool. Ohio's got a cool flag. I love our little pennant that we got. Uh, you got that. There was that, uh, I think as a Wilco shirt that had stars going underneath. There's just a lot of star imagery. Mm -hmm. Here's my problem with this particular theory. I can't imagine this small town that it's held up by the crab factory and the mining factory if there was a specialized crab tool that was star shaped, yeah, that would be wild for that town's police department not to be like, well, she got murdered by the crab tool, the, the crab puncher. 
Like, they, 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 they used a crab puncher on her. <laughs> right. like, that would be wild, right? It wouldn't be a mystery that they were star-shaped. I agree with you. Yeah. Same for the mining facility, right? If Chuck was out there murdering people with a star-shaped pick, like a star-shaped pickaxe, I don't know. <laughs> people would know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like it's it's too... It'd be, yeah, it'd be weird. It'd be weird for them so, not so to So what we're that. really saying here when we're saying this is that it was a homemade tool. That's what we're actually saying is that it can't be something that people are familiar with. It has to be Or it some could be something people are familiar with, but it has to be a truly weird tool that's not like, it wouldn't be a, like a native tool. It wouldn't be something that you use in mining, whatever the fuck they're mining or doing crab stuff or anything. It would have to be something, I don't know, from is it, is there it Louisiana? A, is there something from New Orleans? All right, Clark. Clark is fucking in on it. Is it some kind of specialized equipment that they use for ice boring or something? It could be that. These scientists and Clark. I'm telling you, Clark, man, he's suspicious as fuck. Uh that's, I can that's see what him I'm murdering thinking. his girl. I mean, that's like that's that's police work 101. Who uh, a woman's murdered? Oh, who's she dating? It's probably that guy. Well, they didn't know. Ninety percent of the time until now, right? right? They didn't that's know about the saying. Clark connection. So now like, you like, go there and you find out. Oh, the scientists have star-shaped tools. Yeah. Because Bryce says it's like very specialized. It's very weird specialized robotic stuff. I could see it being it's like some kind of exotic ice boring thing. It's got some kind of star profile. That is interesting. And you're right. Like in a, in a normal police investigation, that would be, he would be the first suspect. It's just that mm-hmm. he was the secret boyfriend, which kind of yeah. makes me even more suspect. And like, right? yeah, it's like, oh, well, he's so in love. That doesn't matter. Dude's madly in love. They would kill him all the time. Yeah. Yep. As they're strangling them, they'll be like, why did you make me do that? It's like, it's <laughs> this fucked up shit. Absolutely. All right. That's, that's where my money's at right now. It's a scientist tool. It's a science tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Evan says, I've been thinking a lot about the debate surrounding the supernatural in True Detective. I was a bit nervous going into the show that they would overdo it. However, my wife and I decided to rewatch season one while we watched season four. We're only on season one, episode three, but I was surprised at how much of the supernatural is in season one, and I forgot. So I think season four is in the same neighborhood regarding the level of supernaturalness, at least for now. I think one one thing that might be a theme of True Detective overall might be that societies embrace Western-style Christianity, um, and it makes it difficult or impossible to interact with the supernatural, almost like it killed off the ghosts. In season one, Clark Peters' minister character mentions his... Boy, using the name Clark and Peters in a sentence <laughs> for for this show is really confusing me, but apparently there's an actor... Clark Peters, uh, minister character, mentions that his aunt, who taught him how to make the devil's nests, it, it was his aunt. And he describes her as a Jesus-loving woman, but has a little bit of Santeria in her. Santeria, which plays a larger role in season one, is a blend between Catholicism and West African religions. Uh, the indigenous cultures seem to have a large impact on society as a whole in Ennis in season four, which maybe allows them to be more susceptible to the supernatural. I think that's like, there's actually science behind that, that like if you go around the world and you um, uh, talk to people who hear voices and have like these uh, video video and audio um, hallucinations, 
that in countries that have more of indigenous culture that does it's like 50 50 whether you see those as evil or there's sometimes a comforting presence like oh it's my grandmother mm -hmm. that came by and it's not scary at all but like in lands that are dominated by christianity it's almost always seen as like demons or some sinister force because yeah. that you know what you see in your mind is a lot about what your culture says what's possible you know so i, mean, I, I actually and i that's something I, I think we even brought up in the preview podcast, like something I got from watching some um, entertainment that's made by indigenous people, native people is, uh, or at least I should say in America, because I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know a lot of indigenous native cultures all around the world, but here in America, it seems like uh, native American cultures are a lot more accepting of weird supernatural things. You know, if they just see yeah, something they're, they're weird connected. in the forest, well, that just might, yeah, that could be a creature or it could be a spirit or it could be, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. They don't have they don't have to, like, force it to fit into some kind of like um, uh, have some kind of rational explanation in a way that certainly I do as an agnostic atheist. And I think it's like kind of dominated, in like broadly speaking, Christian lands that you kind of have to. That's the thing about the Christian religion. Probably I mean, demons. You yeah. Know? When, when you contrast them, I mean, the, the fundamental nature of them is different, right? Like the the Native American religions are more like we have the connection to nature and it's something to be respected, whereas Christianity frames nature as unnatural. It's something that shouldn't be because humans fucked up and God got scared yeah, and is the sin, created a broken world. nature, right? Like, right. yeah, it's something to be feared is nature. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, they, there's a huge contrast between the two philosophies, I guess. Yeah, that's another good point, too. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of curious to see how that uh, how that all works out, too. Rob B says, regarding the corpse sickle survivor, I thought you might be interested in the story. Many people, at least three, maybe four people sent this, uh, a variation of this link in, but it's a story about Gene Hilliard. And the article is titled, Gene Hilliard, the woman who froze solid and thawed back to life. I got some excerpts in this article I wanted to bring out. Uh, the article says, all Gene Hilliard remembers is blackness, falling asleep and waking up. Unbeknownst to her, doctors had declared Hilliard a medical miracle after she recovered from being frozen for six hours in temperatures down to negative 22 Fahrenheit. Not this pussy Celsius shit. That's some cold ass negative 22 Well, if you got Fahrenheit, to negative 22 Celsius, it would be way colder than negative oh, 22 that's true. that's true. Wait, is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that true? Because like a 22 degree... I, I'm... Or they might be similar. They might be approaching about the same around it's, that temperature. Because there's zero, it's 32 degrees our temperature. Uh huh. So like I think I thought Fahrenheit is way because I used to remember like when I was watching like uh, well they're 40 like, is I, like I watched our a bunch of Canadians. So yeah, because it's like for, but it's that the freezing is where it gets weird because like I remember uh -huh. like I'd watch these Canadian YouTubers that are out back camp hanging. They're like, oh, we're staying in negative five, and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, you're gonna just stay in negative five degrees in just a sleeping bag with like a tarp? You're gonna die, dude. And then it's like, oh, that's like, all right, that's I, like third. That's uh, that, yeah, that's like that's like that's like twenty-eight degrees. Okay, yeah, you're not. <laughs> this is a knowable question, uh, knowable answer. It's negative seven point six in Fahrenheit. So, if it's negative okay. twenty-two Fahrenheit, it's worse. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, hostility, American hostility towards the Celsius system aside. Uh, indeed, the baffling case of this hibernating woman remains a medical marvel nearly forty years later. 
So the woman leaves a bar in Minnesota around midnight, Jean does, and her car breaks down on the way home. And she's like, no problem. Um, I got a buzz out going, no doubt. And I got a friend that lives just two miles away. I, that's, a, that's an easy walk. That's a 30-minute walk. I can make it there. Um, however, she gets colder and colder. She mentions like every time she goes over a hill, she's expecting to see the house. It's just not there. It's not there. She gets within sight of the house, and she blacks out. Seven o'clock the next morning, her friend walks out the front door and notices what he describes as a little hunk covered in snow in his front yard. And it turns out it's his friend frozen. Mm, kind of like what was on the road. The Navarro might have hit. That, you know, that, <laughs> that little hunk is exactly, I thought exact, that exact thing. <laughs> yep. That's how I describe what Navarro ran over, a little hunk. But, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, she was frozen stiff, eyes wide open. 15 feet is how close she got to his front door that oh night. Oh my God. So she was so stiff that she, he, they, they, she could not, he could not fit her into the cab of her truck. So they load, they folded down his girlfriend's seat, loaded her into the seat of the car, took her to the hospital 10 minutes away. As I mentioned in the recap, her skin was so frozen solid that needles just broke when they tried to inject her with things. Eyes were fixed, unresponsive, pupils unresponsive to light. Um, but they were able to warm her up and I was trying to find out whether she frostbit, whatever, but yeah. she, she made a full recovery mentally, physically. What? And yeah. Yeah. That's uh, she wild. woke up fully conscious and saying, oh my God, I'm so afraid that my dad's going to be mad for wrecking his car. Um, a doctor hmm. involved in the case who said he'd had 10 similar experiences in the course of his career says that they have a saying in emergency medicine that no one's dead until you're warm and dead. <laughs> if you're dead and cold, you need to be warmed back up to room temperature before they're ready to declare you dead because wild shit like this happens. I would not have believed the person can partially freeze solid and still survive, but here you go. Um, yeah. So it's like I said, it's one in a million type of thing. So appreciate you sharing me with that, Rob. Uh, everybody else that got that take just a little too late, Better luck next time. All right, let's move on to Jessica. She says, during the first scene where the cops were examining the corpses with flashlights in the dark, my first thought was, this is annoying. Maybe they should wait until the morning when sun comes up to get a better look. But I quickly remembered this is obviously not an option. Then I realized I have no idea what time of day or night this is. Are you guys having trouble tracking time on this show? I never have any idea if it's day or night unless someone makes a comment like, you want some lunch? I'm honestly not sure how many days have gone by since they discovered the empty research station. This is probably all intentional and adds to the mystery of the show, but the one thing I know for sure is that I would not do very well in constant darkness. Yes. In fact, they mentioned it would take approximately 48 hours, because I would have bet that it's about 24 hours elapsed. But them saying that these guys are going to defrost in 48 hours and you see how much of the ice is gone and the fact that their joints are starting to thaw, Mm -hmm. it might have been two fucking full days, man. Yeah, maybe like 36 hours or so, you know, day and a half. Uh, I could see it. And I remember that same problem. We talked about that on Insomnia, the uh, Al Pacino, Robin Williams movie we watched a year back for, I think, a commission. Or maybe it was just a, a prestige thing we did. But like, yeah, when you take the rising and falling of the sun, then that was the opposite. That's where the sun mm-hmm. never set. It's in the summer, uh, Arctic summer, the sun never sets. You take away that natural rhythm, it starts to get really fucky really quick. Yeah. And I think the yeah. show is doing a good job marking the big time shifts, like day. You know, this is day four after the 
the the fourth day of darkness, right? And they're giving us actual dates, but within an episode, they're not marking mm-hmm. time, which gives it a disorienting yeah. feel. Yeah, it puts you in this the the state of what these people are like, where it's just like you know, shit, mm-hmm. is it breakfast time because we're eating pancakes, or is it dinner? You spent the night. What does that even mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, and I think that's a great stand-in for you know the, the sort of disorientation that Rust Cole was experiencing in season one, right, with his acid-induced flashback type shit and his visions. Yeah, uh, this has a similar effect for I think these detectives and everyone involved. It just gets funky from time to time. Next to Seb says, I feel like when they were discussing a potential killer at the ice rink, it felt telling that they defaulted to he when referring to them. That and the woman at the factory that got asked if she knew what the spiral was and said no before walking off with a strange expression on her face seems odd. Very weird as someone who grew up with uh, Eccleston in movies and TV being British to see him trying to be an American. I love him, but I'm not sold on the accent. Felt a bit like Tim Roth's <laughs> accent in Reservoir Dogs. I mean, he's trying to do this version of like a Midwest nice thing. Like, I definitely think uh, uh, Jodie Foster's trying that too. But I will say that I thought he killed an American accent in The Leftovers. Yeah, yeah. Not not like murder. So, like, he yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, he nailed it. He nailed <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Not it did a hatchet job on it. No, uh, look, I've seen uh, recently, I was watching something where an American was trying to do a British accent and vice versa. And I've seen what amateurs pull off when they try and do an American accent and they're not American. It's not good. And Christopher Eccleston is not that. He He's a professional. You know, maybe not a hundred percent nailing it, but coming damn close to the point where it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I'm not. And honestly, I'm not. I'm not familiar with an Arctic Circle Alaskan accent. It might. That too. It might be a little like you know. You hear. Uh, I've I've heard people uh, try this. What they call the Delco accent, the Baltimore. Uh, Kathy Bates did it in a season of American Horror. Baltimore, uh, yeah. uh, uh, who's the uh, ah shit uh, Rose from Titanic. Uh, Kate Winslet. Uh, Kate Winslet tried it on the uh, uh, whatever that East Down and Bound stuff, and it sounds like they're doing a bad job. But that's what the accent sounds like. So there could be this Mm. like really weird North of the Arctic Circle, Alaskan backwoods, only accessible by ice road truckers and pontoon planes accent that I'm not familiar with as an American. Because I never, that that Baltimore accent, that particular type, I'd never heard before, before American Horror Story. So, yeah. Yeah, but I feel you. If you're uh, real familiar with his accent, you could probably detect it. Okay, things are going to get weird now because we're Let's entering the psychosphere section of the feedback. Uh, so be careful. Watch out. Watch out for the, watch out for the, the, the feedback that want them want you to follow them. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, let's start with <laughs> Michelle, who says, "I was just thinking about Annie's tongue. Perfectly normal way to start a sentence. Uh, that was found on the floor of the Salal re- uh, Research Station. Danvers noted that it must be from an indigenous woman due to the indentations slash creases that were created by the constant licking of threads." And that ties to the indigenous women who sell a lot of crab pots, etc. Given what we saw in Clark's trailer in episode two, is it possible that Annie and Clark created those dolls, etc. together? 
Clearly, Clark created the large life-size one on the bed, but it would make sense if Annie were licking a lot of threads or strings to create all of those hanging dolls. And it left her with, that's what left her with a mark on her tongue. This also ties in with her tattoo of the spiral. So she must have already been knowledgeable about the Yellow King uh, or Carcosa stuff. What if the Carcosa spirit that goes way back got her, uh, got to her after some sort of weird ritual that she and Clark did, um, or maybe one she maybe did on her own, and she enacted revenge on the scientists after she was killed as revenge for all the damage to the earth that she's perceiving them having done. Uh, or maybe she was just possessed and that spirit is just on a murder spree. I don't know. What do you guys think? I will say that Annie looked too young. Cause like, I, I thought that um, it wasn't just native women that had these grooves in her tongue. She mentioned like old native women, like a lifetime mm. of licking nets will get you those tongue grooves. And Annie looks like she's not old enough, but I don't know. Maybe cause Clark looks like he could be in his forties. Maybe she is too. Um, but the other thing is like Annie's a midwife. She wouldn't be a net licker as far as I can tell, or maybe everyone licks, licks nets in the, uh, netting season. I, I again, I, I don't yeah, know. Don't know how it um, works. I couldn't find any evidence of this tongue groove stuff in, hmm. in my Googling. Um, but maybe they're suggesting that, yeah, that is weird for a midwife. What she's really been doing. These aren't post mortem. Like this isn't a post mortem shrine. This is. Ooh, that's right. an interesting mode of murder motive. Like if, if if they if they had some kind of like Carcosa, like she had to ascend, she needs to sleep before she wakes. I could see them doing this together and then him ritually murdering her with some kind of star shaped impl- implement and cutting out the tongue. Yeah, mm. like this might this might be some mutual crazy shit. I don't know if that's my favorite theory, my the one I'm running with, but it's <laughs> I like it. It's it, it explains certain un, unexplainable things for sure. All right, I'm gonna take a big old whiff of the psychosphere mm-hmm. here for a second. Clark killed her, took her tongue, and has been weaving dolls with her tongue for six years. Like a stamp liquor? Yes. Like like a, keeping a moist 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 sponge around? Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's mm. pretty fucked up. If you ever die, I want your tongue for sending out bald new Christmas cards because you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be handy. <laughs> I, I this the other thing is like I I don't know. Did they mention this in the the, the main podcast and I kind of missed it? Um I, I don't know, like, when I see this camper, I don't think, oh, wow, a Native woman did this. This is authentic Native American crafts no. and goods and things. It looks like something a white dude did in maybe imitation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look expert. So that that's the one thing is, like, I have a hard time believing that, like, if Annie was involved in his work, it would be this slipshod. And, but also, if she's insane, she got Carcosa, Carcosa in her brains. Maybe. Yeah. To me, it looks like something a Tuttle did, but I don't know. It looks Tuttley. looks Tuttley to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Krista says, I may be watching too much TV with my toddler, but as I'm watching season four, I cannot get some narratives from Moana out okay. of my head. Moana is, among other things, a big metaphor for climate change with the goddess Tafiti creating life when her heart, the spiral. Oh, I forgot about the fucking spiral. 
This piece of jade has got a this exact spiral carved on it. Whoa. Uh, when her heart is stolen, the volcanic monster Teika appears. Spoiler alert, the goddess to Okay. Yeah, it turns out these are one and the same. This is like the Teika is the spurned version of Mother Earth that's turned into a volcano monster because she's pissed at her heart being stolen. Okay. Uh, and she's unable to find rest again. There are many parallels with the ancient spirals, the sea goddess of Sedna, and the scientists studying climate change. My question, is Issa Lopez plagiarizing? Does Annie Kay represent Moana? Just kidding. But what are your thoughts that, like Moana, the perceived female evil, she's awake, actually ends up being the good, and there's an imbalance at work? Is there a murder embedded in the larger tale of men and mankind being course-corrected? Because, yeah, the, again, yeah. spoilers for a six-year-old cartoon, the way they resolve that is Moana gives her her heart back, and then she becomes the Earth goddess and goes back to sleep. Um, the thing that makes that hard for me to believe is the way it's tied into season one. Because that doesn't feel benevolent. But it's like, but but she's saying she wants to do like a through the looking glass, like a an opposite reflected version of season one. So yeah, yeah. if it turns out that season one was about toxic men putting an end to child predator toxic men, um, and it turns out it's all evil men, it would be interesting if women investigating found some kind of benevolent female force at the bottom of all this um yeah i, I think I sedna gets the, to that too right i mean that's yeah i i can see the juxtaposition there mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if it's like obviously it's not a one-to-one -one moana thing but like uh, the fact that they're i mean I, I you can't ignore the fact that this was also tied to climate research too yeah yeah absolutely no there's some interesting parallels there i have no idea if that's an influence but it could be yeah, smells like a psychosphere to me. Yeah. All right, uh, John G., last up here, has some random observations for us. Uh, maybe we can, can skip through these and talk about some of them. Something older than ice, as Rose says, is about the spiral pattern. Would maybe be an extinct microorganism. Yeah, I think that's yeah, kind of where most covered, people are leaving. We, we, we talked about that, so... Uh, if you freeze on the research papers of Clark's that uh, Danvers is looking at, the brief on the first page mentions contaminants in ice found in the Swiss Alps infecting fish in Swiss lakes, and that something similar has been potentially found in the glacier ice of Alaska where they are. It mentions the possibility of them infecting the watershed below. Interesting. Mm. That's like a smoking gun for the micro-contaminant pathogen theory, for sure. Uh, then later in his papers, we see his madness being scrawled all over his work as he repeats, oh, God, never say her name. And I can hear her moving outside. I can hear her fingers. It repeats her eyes, her face multiple times. Then the next page says over and over again, her eyes, her face, her dark, dark eyes, never say her name. I can hear her coming. He's written this over a specific ribosomal DNA section he's analyzing. The next page is even more crazy looking, and he mentions that he must not sleep while also mentioning and drawing her cold, dark eyes again and again. Uh, Interesting. I think this might be connected here to this next paragraph as well. Um, in Clark's trailer, it looks like several pictures of Annie Kay and Clark and the straw person or whatever in the bed. There's also scribbling on the wall that is mostly impossible to make out, except in big red letters, you can read the word wrong. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think... 
I think this is all tied back to Annie in Clark's mind, right? I think all this scribbling that he's doing, I think he's seeing Annie. I think is like all the everything that they're making in this episode a big deal of. It all kind of points to people are seeing spirits. We don't know what those spirits want, or there's various kinds that may want different things. Uh, he lost Annie. He's driven mad by it. He's seeing her, I assume. That kind of stuff. You know, she's outside. What if Clark was having a slip of, you know, starting to have, lose his grip on reality? He's dating Annie. He's doing research on climate change and organisms and pathogens and whatnot. And she starts getting ahead of steam while they're dating about the mine and how the environmental is being damaged and all that stuff. At the same time, he's losing his mind. They talked about like the reason you take someone's tongue out is to silence them. Mm-hmm. What if he started in his mind getting her confused with some kind of vengeful deity like the Sedna figure or something? And he thought he was delaying an apocalypse by killing her. Because she's agitating about the environment and talking about Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. And it just, like, in his mind got confused. So he he grabs his star-shaped robotics tool and punctures her 31 times, breaks her ribs. Kills her. But but then it's like it just, like, now she's been sleeping, but now she's awoke again. Yeah. No, I, I think that fits in pretty well with the events as we think they happen. The only thing that makes me not as a meta, which is a meta point, which is like Clark is pretty much suspect number one right now. It would be really yeah. weird if it turns out, yeah, he's the one that killed her. You know, turns out. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, also, it would be interesting if it were tied to something bigger too, right? If it's not just true, this guy went crazy and killed her, but you know, what mm-hmm. were the reasons? Uh, John G continues here from episode one. We all, we learn all the researchers and the roles at the Salal station. Clark was a paleobiologist. Clark's bio says that his PhD training was in the study of pathogenesis of some crazy name. I'm not even going to try, uh, which is basically staph infections, but you could also, uh, it could also be MRSA, which is an antibiotic resistant form of staph infection. So Dr. Clark was specifically studying how a virus has developed ways to spread into human population and resist antibiotics. One thing staph can do is damage soft tissue, like, say, your eyes. Maybe an infection from some kind of ancient form of still blah, blah, blah can do even worse. Uh, it would be something that is so terrible that you start biting off your own fingers. MRSA is not usually common in people except in the elderly or very young people immunocompromised exposed in hospitals and people who live in confined spaces together, like a research station where no one ever leaves. Dum, dum, dum. So does this then point back to the we are all dead on the board indicating that he had just noticed that something was already in the water supply and they had all been long exposed to it. It's possible. possible. That MRSA can be like damn near flesh eating bacteria. Um, yeah. Yep. Could be. And or could, that's the thing. It's like that's just like a terrestrial pathogen that we're familiar with and has become resistant to antibiotics. Can you imagine something that comes from a hundred million years ago? Yeah. You know, completely we have, you know, it's, it's because of it's, it it definitely preyed on the biology that became us. So it might be able to unlock us, but we don't have any defense against it. It's, I mean, like I said, I've, I've read the serious scientists who that's a, that's a, a, among, I don't think it's a chief concern they have with global warming, but it's a concern. So Mm -hmm. scary shit. 
Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of True Detective, the podcast by Bald Move. If you'd like to send us more feedback, True Detective at baldmove.com. Follow us on all our social medias at Bald Move, except for TikTok at Baldest Move. And finally, if you'd like to support what we're doing here at Bald Move, check us out at support.baldmove.com where you can get ad-free feeds and extra bonus audio content such as our live instant and uh, takes and talk podcast on Sunday night following each episode of True Detective. Hopefully we'll see you on Sunday night. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>